0: right now all right fellas six-pack lapidat we got the fellas back uh minus rory lynch rory couldn't make it you guys don't seem very sad about that um so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do the men's recap episode and uh for the women's recap episode we have people who directly worked on the sheffield event uh, we're gonna have amelia potter who who did the interviews and some of the intro we're going to have joe whiteley who was my commentating host and uh we're going to have sophia ellis um who's won european titles british titles but also uh, has worked with spd as well and was there at the event and but for this podcast it's our boys matt gary ellier kelms and um holy freaking smokes this one lived up and am I? We are talking offline. Before we get, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts. But before we do, we we're talking offline. And if I had to rate this event, I thought last ones was amazing. I think this one they actually leveled up yet again, lived up to the hype. The live was crazy. They tightened up on some things in the. Um, I know the teams got bigger the, and, and the amount of camera angles and whatnot, the sound they've leveled up on so many different things. The intros were far more detailed <laughs> and intricate shot with a bigger team um, shot ahead of time. I was a part of both this year's and last year's intros and brought in an interview team that shot an intro and analysis and pulling people aside in between events. And they had far just a, a far more robust screen that you guys saw um and the live was fantastic the live was always fantastic and it's uh yeah it was it was something else and as i was telling eric as well already 50 percent sold out for the next year so if you're wondering how good was it you know how good it was when literally the next day they were 25 sold out already it, a day hadn't passed i remember breakfast Benjamin Banks came up to my breakfast table and said, Ryan, we're at 25%. And I'm like, of what? Because I'm thinking tickets. And that's pretty nuts because we just wrapped up last night. And he said, yeah, 25% sold out already. And I'm home starting my day job, trying to get used to the flow, talk to Pete Spence, and we're 50% sold out next year already. And people don't even know who the world champions are, who the wild cards are, who anything is. And we're already at 50%. Hmm. We are going to... Gentlemen, where's this going to be in five years?
1: Is that a, is that a question Hico, you want us to answer? Alright. Give, give so me. What's going on? I think we're actually seeing the delayed response of the participation that picked up. Um, so... Powerlifting has had a boom over the last, I'm going to say eight years. You know, that's been pretty clear. And I think now we're starting to see powerlifting, the powerlifters get really, really, really well developed, more so on the men's side and the competition level going up and that participation crystallizing into what we're seeing, the potential to have these $250,000 pound payouts uh, and money meets um, these massive teams Worlds being in places like Malta rather than Colleen, um, and, you know, whole teams getting sponsored by companies like SPD um, and unequipped going to world games. Um, the interesting thing that I wonder is, are we going to see kind of like we have seen that like we're we're Palestine's still growing. Don't get me wrong in terms of participation, but not at the same rate that it was in the mid teens. And I wonder if we're gonna see the the tapering of the benefit of that start to happen. I don't think we've hit the peak yet, because obviously Sheffield, like you just said, 50% sold out. World Games hasn't happened yet. I think we still do have a lot of juice left. But I, I am curious, and I'm I'm not I'm not a I'm not a pessimist. I definitely don't want this to be the case. I want it to keep growing as fast as possible. But I do wonder if we're gonna start to see some plateauing in the heights that powerlifting reaches. As far as a spectator sport mainstream popularity, because we've, I think we're just a few years ahead of the participation rise. Um, And I don't want that to be the case, but I think that is something worth bringing up because there is seemed to be this kind of disassociated time course where, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't 2017 where powerlifting was huge after, you know, three years of things blowing up, it was post COVID, right? Which, you know, probably was later than it would have been because of COVID specifically, but I think there is, um, some delay between participation increasing and then all the financial monetary expansion, visibility, multimedia rewards that come from that. And I wonder if we're going to start seeing a tapering in maybe a couple of years towards the end of this, this decade. I hope not.
0: Well, let, well, let me, let me throw the question to Matt, but let me also throw my two cents involved. Um, you guys, I would be shocked. If in your immediate friends and family, you knew a professional boxer, but boxing is massive. And what I would pose to you is we're starting to reach a point where it doesn't really matter about participation as much as we're starting to enter into with the packaging of Sheffield and how it was. You know, I said it before, I'll say it again. I listen to MMA podcasts, mostly boxing podcasts and just general podcasts, not powerlifting podcasts. They come on after Sheffield and they talk about Sheffield. And they're like, did you hear about that event, Sheffield? And I think what we're starting to see is not just a direct link to participation. There is a link. 100%, I think there is. A, that's undeniable. But I think we're starting to blossom as an actual sport. The way SBD has packaged it, you could see this on CBS Sports. And people could watch it and not be in powerlifting and participate. They'll be SBDers. They'll go to the gym. They'll be into that. But... If they continue to package it and lean ha- more heavily into storytelling, more it's going to get more and more. You know, we had pre-game pre, uh, videos analysis. It'll get more robust. And pre-all of this, the Road to Sheffield series will get more robust. And, and they're going to expand on it as they go. But I think we might be, whether participation or not, starting to find a place where we can be viewed and maybe worlds was a maybe sheffield is a more bite sized version of worlds that can be digestible and sbd is going to continue down that path of professional powerlifting that's bite sized and mm. if anyone got us on cbs and and it was like let's see if this will rock maybe this is it maybe this is it maybe we don't have to be directly tied to the participation, Matt. What do you think? Because me and you had a f- conversation. You know, I call the conversation, my man. We were both getting emotional. You were all up in your fields, and I felt you right back. And that <laughs> came off wrong. Let me reword that. Uh, I didn't feel what like, you didn't. I didn't feel you right <laughs> back. But we were. We were. Um, uh. You know, you had seen so much, and you're saying like this is a dream. And what you would experience at Sheffield, you said back in the '90s, early 2000s, to ten from 2010 to 2020, all of it, you've been in the game for so long. And you were like, this is all a dream. This is crazy. And you experienced it. Tell me what you were feeling in that moment that made you literally water up with tears in your eyes. And, um, I I've been around and I know what you mean. And, and then tell me what you think the future might look like if we continue down this pathway.
2: Yeah, I mean, you and I had a real heart-to-heart conversation there at the meet and greet after the competition. And and yeah, I was getting quite emotional. And I think I think it just stems from, first of all, you're, you know, when you're when you're on this endorphin high immediately after the competition, you're just like, your adrenaline's been pumping. I've been in the trenches, you know, duking it out with these other coaches and other lifters. And so you're trying to kind of collect yourself literally and figuratively. But also I just felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude just just so 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 thankful because it just feels like we're living in this time of abundance and it just um you know having started you know competing in 1995 and so i've been in this game for almost three decades now and i've seen a lot and it's just the fact that we've come literally this far and to see now the second sheffield unfold and to your point ryan it was bigger it was better it was more robust it was cleaner. It was, it was more well-received. I think um, every aspect of it, they, you know, we thought that SPD leveled the game up last year. Well, they've clearly leveled up yet once again. And so coming now having basically 30 years of experience in this sport and seeing where we are and then realizing at this moment where I think we can go to your point, Ryan, just was like overwhelming. And so I just felt this overwhelming sense of of gratitude and thanks. And it just really hit me, man. And I'm just like, my gosh, you know, we're here. And I think we're at the cusp of another growth spurt potentially because of, you know, raw and classic being involved in the world games. So, I mean, if we we look back, if we rewind the clock into the late 70s, I'm talking like 1977 and 1978, there was, and, and sometime in the 80s as well. Um, and Eric knows about this as well, just being an, the iron culturist that he is. You know, ABC in the United States of America, ABC's Wide World of Sports, used to carry powerlifting and featuring the names like Doug Young and Bill Kazmaier and these behemoth lifters, you know, being on ABC's Wild World of Sports. And then it kind of phased after that and fizzled. And, and there was a time in the early 2000s, you know, when when ESPN – carried uh the mountaineer cup like i had mentioned on our goats podcast and and eddie cohen was was featured there and so forth and and then again once again that kind of died out but now we're seeing you know powerlifting brought to the masses on live streams and so forth and to your point ryan at worlds when it's on the olympic channel and when it's on um um Eurosport Eurosport. and so forth yeah it's it's becoming this reality in other countries and i think that i think that I understand what Eric's saying, and I agree in terms of the participation and so forth, but I think we are about, with this next year, I think we're about to experience another growth spurt, and then perhaps maybe it should, it might taper off after them. But I think once this thing hits the World Games in 2025, that is going to create an additional level of exposure for us that we've not yet seen, because up until this point, every World Games, is, of course, has been equipped. And so now by having classic featured in the world games and presumably some of the personalities and some of the people who will be contending and potentially be in that mix at world games, it can just help us level up once again. And then I think maybe, you know, a year or two after that, it would kind of make sense that maybe things kind of trail off or level off or something, but I, you know, I'm glass half full all the time, or at least I try to be that way. And I really think that we're, we're in for another growth here. And just the mere fact that you said that already we're 50% sold out for next year just speaks volumes. I mean, that's just like mind blown, right? Like, you know, before I knew that I was coaching Natalie Richards, Susie and I went ahead and bought tickets for this past Sheffield, and we bought ours in May. And it took a while. I mean, I I don't remember how long it was, but I think it didn't sell out until what, maybe one month ahead of uh, the date, maybe, was it? December, we sold out in
0: 2023.
2: Okay, so at summer. the end of 2020. Yeah. So let's just say, you know, for sake of conversation, about two months prior or a month and a half prior, but now we're like we're only a week removed, not even a week removed. And we're at 50%. So anyway, it's um man, the glass is more than half full from where I'm standing. And and I'm just like I said, overwhelmingly excited and 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 grateful for what's to come. Look
0: look at if you a boxing match together or an MMA fight on the USC together, if you can sell out before you even announce who's fighting, the end is not near.
2: Yeah. That's
0: all I'm going to say. The end is not (laughs) near. And I would not be surprised if Sheffield 2025 sells out before we have the card established. Before every lifter is named. I wouldn't be surprised if it sells out before we have a single lifter confirmed. Meaning before Worlds. it'll sell out before that should tell you all you need to know it's bigger than any participant it's bigger than it's it's just gotten to be its own thing it's like wimbledon it's our sheffield and um i i think in the next five years we're going to see it's going to keep growing and growing um let's get into the event let's get into the event shall we man because we've had We've had some surprises. There's some big battles. Let me toss this one first to you, Matt. Gustav Hedlund won this. He was 4.3% to win the battle of the 93s on the esteem of the public. How did we get so far off when it comes to 4.3% of people? were we this far off of Gustav Headland? was he that big of an underdog?
2: What is the story here? Yeah yeah man I mean it's just, it's we, we like to talk about the winners first and like you said, all, all credit due to Gustav here who finished on an eight for nine day um you know I kind of it's funny kind of analyzing and digesting the results I mean having been there, Clearly, I was coaching Natalie Richards on the female side, so I was downstairs for a lot of it. But you're checking in with the live stream, and now I've watched the live stream after the fact and kind of looked at the results and so forth. And so, you know, he totaled 895 kilos on an eight-for-nine day. And really, his eight-for-nine could be what we call an eight-and-a-half or a nine-for-nine because he missed the second bench on a technicality and actually went up. Right. So 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 when you when you miss one on a technicality yet go up and wait and then make it, it's kind of as though you really didn't even miss the second one. But anyway, for, you know, for statistical sake, he made eight, eight of nine attempts. And I think he he overperformed from the standpoint that I think you'll recall I put out that graphic earlier in the week about, you know, the the hit rate on a lot of these lifters. And so I think looking at Gustav statistically, he was averaging 6.8 attempts out of nine. And oftentimes his, his storyline was one that he would perform really well when under the tutelage of Carolina Arvidsson, you know, the national team coach for Sweden, but oftentimes when she wasn't in the mix, you know, he would, he would miss some lifts or perhaps be maybe a little bit more cavalier or what have you. But I mean, his training was on point the entire time, um, I think, you know, I had him projected at finishing at 897.5 and he finished at 895. Um, I certainly did not have him winning um, by any stretch of the imagination. So, so I think I was really, really close on the total. But he, he I mean, he, we got to say he overperformed in that he hit more attempts than he's used to and he won the damn thing. And so that's that, that's what this is all about, right? Particularly on the men's side, when there were only a few over the world record, and the percentages were much smaller than the women. But I think you know the the prohibitive or, or proverbial favorite or whatever term we want to use is is going to be John, Jonathan Keiko, and 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 rightfully so. I mean, that this guy you know placed second at last year's Sheffield, and 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 Keiko's resume is such that, you know, he really doesn't miss attempts and, and he's the defending world champion and he's been through these rigorous battles and every time he's been challenged by every, you know, oncomer, if you will, he has prevailed. And so I think it wasn't wrong for a lot of us to pick Keiko finishing ahead of Headland, but all credit to Gustav, man. He showed up and showed out and um, silenced the doubters and the naysayers and just had a phenomenal meet. I mean, he PB'd in every discipline across the board. And that's ultimately what you want to do. And this is a guy who doesn't hold the strength in any single discipline to get a world record. You know, he's a he's a total guy. You know what I mean? And we talk about squat specialists and bench specialists. Well, Gustav Hedlund is a total specialist, you know, and that's his area of expertise. And so I think he really showed that. And so, I mean, I'm just thrilled for him and And um, yeah, I think it was, it was a huge upset because I, I think, you know, a lot of us had um, Jesus winning this thing and it certainly didn't turn out that way. So in that respect, I think it was not only a big upset overall, but it was an upset within, within the 93 kilo class as well.
0: Eric, obviously Jonathan Keiko reestablished himself with dominance at the world championships. One. And for the first time, One, I don't think the word easy is the most appropriate, but previously it came down to the very last deadlift and he was always in danger, sensational. It's so fun to watch the 93s at the world championships. For the first time, we saw Jonathan Keiko win and he won by a second deadlift and his last deadlift was a freebie. We never saw Kaiko like that. A lot of people, and he went nine for nine again, as he always does or usually does and just dominant performance. And people started talking as though, has he leveled up on this field? Brendan Petrie is obviously coming over from USAPL. Do we have to wait for Brendan Petrie to arrive to see Keiko really pushed? Has Keiko leveled up and he's moved beyond this pack of 93s after that dominating performance at worlds? Sheffield says no. Mm -hmm. What happened with Jonathan Keiko here? Did because Keiko had a PR day. It wasn't like he had a bad day. What do you think the storyline is here? What's your impression of Keiko in the ninety-threes and how he fits in that picture now after watching Sheffield?
1: So I think the battle of the 93s, you know, like like you said, it was what 4.5% of people thought Headland would come ahead, Ryan. Yeah. We gotta understand that polling people is not the same thing as if we had some supercomputer. Where we could put in all the odds and looked at all the data and it calculated a probability of a headland versus Keiko win. That would have probably been something more like 65, 35, if I had to guess. Because each individual person is basically their own little data driven algorithm with all those flaws that we see in humans. <laughs> and then they're going to pick the favorite. And if most people think there's a 60% chance of, of Keiko winning, then it's going to be 95% people picking Keiko. So I think I think we need to acknowledge that 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 I don't think there was a lot of people that were completely surprised by Gustav's ability to win, mm-hmm. but he still was not favored. It wasn't the same as say Evie being placed 12th and coming in. or I, like for example, I would say that Carlos Peter Griffin's uh, performance was, was more surprising, even though he placed I think seventh than say Gustav's. Um, or or Kaikut. Gustav, I think people forget, he's placed second at Worlds three times in the Open division. He has always been capable of winning a World title. He just hasn't had everything come together at the same time as even on a good day, it wasn't necessarily the greatest possible day for his competitive field. So, you know, in some ways, I think we can look at this and we could say, you know, maybe the ceiling for Gustav is has not been has been more poorly represented by his performances than Kaikos. Kaiko the downside of being Mr. Perfect as you've labeled him and being someone who always goes 8 for 9 or 9 for 9 and always being relatively close to his top end strength even on a quote-unquote bad day for him, you know, he's he's more like a 98% lifter than someone else who might be 95% is that his range is relatively predictable. So it you know, worlds he did really, really well, and and he did have that that time he didn't need all nine of his, his attempts, but I think that was probably more the outlier than actually Sheffield was, and I think what we finally saw was everything come together for Gustav, because like like I said, I don't think anyone was like shocked or surprised that Gustav won; they were just like, yeah, someone capable put it together, and they had the right day. Um, it'll be. I'm actually more interested in seeing where Gustav goes than to answer your question about. Keiko. I, I think it's too early to say that, oh, no, Keiko's at his peak. You know, he's, he's older, you know, we've seen him at his best, and he's not going to be able to hang, even though he had a good day. Um, but I, I do think that we haven't seen enough of these bannered... Like, Keiko's had a lot of really, really good performances where he's been close to what his peak is. And even if he's still incrementally going up, even a very good day as he's improving will have a relatively predictable increase in his total. Like, I could see him next year just getting around 900. Awesome. But Gustav, I, I don't know that the, the, those two things haven't converged yet. So it may be that um, that we're just getting to see a Gustav who's refining his skill. I mean, it wasn't too long ago, you know, that Gustav won his his junior world title. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Gustav is peaking a little bit later and we're going to see a higher potential out of him. And that's also coming at the same time as him really being able to put together one of these better executed days as a power lifter, as an athlete, rather than just a strong individual.
0: Um, Good points. Speaking of someone whom we've been long waiting to put it all together, but had, has always had potential. Gavin Aiden, we said, man, if he can ever get three squats together, the world's in trouble. Gavin Aiden finally did it, got three squats together. And it was the bench press. Always hmm. something is happening with Gavin. You speak with Gavin afterwards, and and we'll have him on the podcast again for sure. But he was like, "Man, it's always something." And the bench press, um, you know, obviously you missed the bench there, a key bench. But even then, he's bench two twenty, and yeah. the attempt even was much lower than that. So something was going on with his bench press. Period. Coming in, Gavin Eden, if he has a Gustav Headland day and he can actually meet his PRs, Gustav Hedlund was PRing all around. If Gavin can do that, what are we looking at here, Matt? Gavin's young. He's the youngest of these three that we're mentioning. Can he pull himself together and do a Gustav? What's going on with Gavin Aiden, and what were your thoughts watching this?
2: Yeah, I mean, the short answer to your question is, yes, he certainly can. He certainly is capable of doing what Gustav Hedlund did. I think to your point um to your point Ryan um you know uh, Gavin finished uh, exactly where I thought he would. I picked Gavin to come in fourth. I also had Gavin finishing at 892. He finished at 887. Um I believe that Gavin overperformed in the sense that um you know he's used to making 7.3 attempts, he made 8 this time. Um and to your point, he made the squats and that's what we've been waiting for. And so now the narrative, you know, and the conversation has changed. Um, he came out and, and decided to, you know, um, the, the, the whole time I'm thinking of of the Frank Sinatra song, My Way, you know, where he, he, he decided to do it my way. And he and he put the world record on the bar for the second one and absolutely buried it. I think it was, you know, again, I was watching the live stream, but I've watched a couple of different angles of it and so forth. And I thought it was a three white light lift. It looked absolutely phenomenal. And then he added a few more kilos for that third attempt. I thought that one appeared to be higher. He got a two to one decision. My wife, Susie, got a really good quality video of it and a good angle. And her video actually looks better than the live stream angle. So I actually told him that. I was like, hey man, you know, that was a two to one lift, but after seeing my wife's video, it actually looks better. So congratulations. And I was really excited for him. So, you know, he hit a 10 kilo PB in the squat. And also if my records are correct, um, he hit a 12 and a half kilo PB in the deadlift, you know, switching over to conventional now. As opposed to sumo so um, perhaps uh you know less variability and performance there and so we saw an uptick in performance but to your point i think the one thing here that kind of surprised us was of course the bench press and i don't want to speak for gavin he's going to come on the podcast i really didn't ask him i know that um you know he had a significant weight cut he was um the last person i think to step on the scale Um, You know, uh, being in the in the in the weigh in area there, we were waiting for Gavin and I know some of the officials were looking for him and Kedrick was kind of, you know, um, sweating it there, you know, literally and figuratively. But Gavin did make weight. But I think, you know, perhaps I mean, that, that that's just the only thing that I can think. I have no idea what his bench training was like. But like to your point, Ryan, he's got a 220 kilo PB in the bench press and, and so for him to actually finish the day with, what did he finish with? He finished with 205. So we have we see this uptick in performance with the squat and the deadlift, but a downtick in performance in the bench. And I don't know if that was due to the weight cut and having to sauna off those extra kilos at the end or what have you, but I'm sure Gab, Gavin will speak to that. But all in all, I mean, I think Gavin, he finished where I thought he would finish, but he's now changed the narrative because he's had three successful squats and the world record is his. And so now if he can continue that trend and look, man, sometimes it just takes breaking through once, right? It just takes having a meet where you make three lifts and you regain your not that he ever lost his swagger at all. I think That's Gavin's sure. very confident. You know what I mean? But but maybe there was something missing there or there was this tinge of of, of, of doubt, not doubting his ability, but like, damn doubt. can I meet the standard? You know what I mean? And now that he's proven that he can, you know, and, and um, yeah. So I, I see no reason why that trend can't continue. You know, I, I, I don't think I'm speak alone when I say I, you know, a lot of us hope that this trend continues and that when he does put it together, when he does, you know, get his bench back, in order, you know, maybe again, like I said, if that was the weight cut or maybe there was some issue in training, if he does get that back in order, then yeah, there's, I mean, it's within reason that he's going to be over 900 kilos, which is, I think, where we expect him. And I think where we expect a lot of these lifters, Gustav included.
0: Gavin just benched what he he previously did. We we don't even need to talk about he has potential to bench more meat. No, no. If he just done what he's already done, he'd be over 900 Mm -hmm. kilos. And he would have won mm-hmm. this battle of the 93s, he would have won Sheffield. Right. If anyone's wondering would... why Gavin keeps getting invited back, I say keeps. It's only been twice, but acting like it's a yeah. long standing six, seven year, whatever run. But if anyone's wondering why, you know, wow, oh, he got invited again and we keep talking about Gavin Aiden, this is why. If he, mm-hmm. it, Gustav Hedlund, ironically, just proved why. And, and this doesn't take, mm-hmm. you don't have to be a big Gavin fan to be saying this. Just look at the lifts he's already completed and what he's proven he can already do. And he just needs a day where he puts it together and he will be over 900 kilos and he will win battle of 93s. He could win Sheffield and who knows, maybe he's on his way to winning worlds. And that's, that becomes And for a guy like Gustav who appeared in 2018 Calgary and won the junior worlds out everybody in the open. And ever since we've been waiting for him, he outtotaled the open as a junior. And we're all like, well, he's a future star. And it's taken from 2018 to Nangle. An this is what I would say to Gavin Aiden and all of his fans. It can come together, hang in the pocket, and stay and, and stay the course. Um, so I don't know, you know, there's talk about him moving to 83 or whatever the hell. I think he's still got work to do as a 93, even though
2: yeah, agreed. even
0: though the, the outcome was what it was. I think he it would be too early to leave. And ironically yeah. enough, again, I think I think Gustav underlines that.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, Gavin's got nothing to be upset about. I mean, he had a that's a seven kilo uh, seven kilo bump PB on his total, right? Whereas Gustav had a fifteen kilo PB on his total. You know what I mean? And I don't know that anybody anticipated that much of a boost, you know, yeah. for, for 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 Gustav. So, I mean, Gavin had a great day, you know. And he, and he came in fourth place. And so, I mean, yeah, look, get the bench together and yeah. And put the others together and keep making progress. And you're at 900 plus my man.
0: Carlos Peterson Griffith wanted to come into Sheffield and prove he was worthy. He came through as a wild card through the regionals. And I don't know if this is just good luck. We're only two years deep or if people are going to continuously level up because it's Sheffield, but For a guy who entered worlds and competed in group B, didn't even make prime time coming at the Sheffield Regional, a lot of people weren't expecting much. And then he started appearing on podcasts. And all of a sudden, people who doubted him were like, Whoa, he is far too confident. And then he sent me that one deadlift double of 365 kilos, 804 pounds. And I, and on the podcast he was like i don't want to post it or whatever but i've hit some big numbers when he dm me that i said carlos not only do you have to post this we'll collab the world needs to see it the powerlifting needs to see it and obviously i'm working the sheffield event so i want people to be excited and it, and it helps the the excitement of it but even then the powerlifting community needed to see eric have we seen a new contender emerge is he here to stay?
1: 100%. Can you approve upon this? Yeah. 100%. I mean, I, I want to say his highest registered total was 845 before this. Mm. We were just talking about the shocking 15 kilo improvement by, you know, Gustav Hedlund. This is 30. This is 30 kilos. So, um, 875 is a very respectable total. And, The deadlift was the heaviest deadlift in the competition, and he's not a 105, he's not a 120, he's not a 120 plus, he's a 93. Now, granted, the deadlift is one of those lifts that starts to taper off with higher weight classes, but that's an extremely impressive deadlift. And oh, by the way, he did have the squat world record for a second there. You know, it was 331, and he had 332.5. So he is among the best squatters in the 93s period, and he is potentially the best deadlifter in the 93s right now so I mean yeah he's got a long way to go on on, on the bench so that that tends to go hand in hand no pun intended with with being a good deadlifter <laughs> but he also improved his bench a lot which which was impressive you know so I don't think um we we know this gentleman's ceiling but I think he has made it made a very clear statement um there are people there are names who placed behind Carlos who have a little more respect on their name. And I think that rightfully, I think that that should change, you know, he placed ahead of Anatoly and uh, world champion, Calli- Jesus. you know, Johansson, which we'll, we'll talk about. I think there, there, there's more right. caveats to that. Um, right, right. You know, I think we all had, a lot of us had Kyoto on, the, on, on the platform, you know, he placed 10th so that the men's didn't shake out the way we anticipated um, in a lot of ways. And not just the, the 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 podium. And one of them was that I think Carlos Peterson Griffith uh really showed up and showed out and he has earned his respect. And I think anyone who was maybe eye rolling at his his uh, his confidence on the podcast, they hadn't proved it yet or swagger, um, I hope they now see like, oh shit, like he had a reason to 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 display that. And I, I was really good to see because I think it speaks to some of the hard to quantify elements of sport that when you are put in an environment where everyone around you is leveling up, true athletes find a way um, to do something to improve. Uh, And, and I think the Sheffield is a really great battleground for that. And when you get asked, Hey, you, like you said, Ryan, you teed that up. Well, You, you were top of the pile in the B group and now you're getting a regional pick. The chip on your shoulder is something that a real athlete will just want to like smash on the ground and, and, and show everybody like, Oh, I'll show you, you think I don't deserve to be there. Um, and I think he did that and I think it was really cool. And I think, um, I, I, I would be surprised if he didn't, you know, now like I've made my statement, let's go. You know, I think that, I think that will continue to motivate him.
0: Yeah. Just snowballing off that. His improvement was phenomenal. His bench press is respectable, if not near the top, and become respectable into the 400s now. World record squat. Biggest deadlifter in the world right now in his weight class. If he continues to work like he is, like and all he wanted coming into this event was to prove he belonged. Now he belonged. I talked to him after the event. That swagger ain't going nowhere. Everyone thought he had swagger coming into this He's like, now everyone knows I belong. Now it's time to take over. Uh, Very interested in seeing where he takes it from here because I think we're going to see, look, he's already at 875. A lot of these guys are falling into the 880s. Will he put on 10 kilos by Worlds? I would not doubt that. One second. Could he surpass some of these guys who were previously ahead of him? I would not doubt that for one second. He is now in the mix. And when you're talking about the top 93s, you're going to have to insert his name. Now, talking about the top 93s, gentlemen, I want to throw Brendan Petrie's name in the mix. He's a 90 and he's done phenomenal in the 880s. I believe 887.5. Now he's going to get to throw three more kilos of body weight on and he's going to enter the 93s. I want you to take all of these gentlemen who lifted at a Sheffield, all of these gentlemen in the IPF, and I want you to add Brendan Petrie on potential alone if you want. And I'm gonna ask both of you right now, who is the number 193 in the world?
1: You wanna go first, Matt?
2: I'll follow you, Eric. <laughs> Beauty before age this time.
1: Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Um <laughs> I think if we go on potential alone and not like but has he shown enough of it, et cetera. Like if we think about training footage, if we think about all that, um, I would make the argument that Brandon Petrie maybe is the, uh, the 93 with the most potential. And if all the stars align, everything goes well. I think, I think he, I think he could be not untouchable, but extremely dominant to where it would be his, his, his division to lose at competitions for, for at least a handful of years um, if we're going off potential alone.
0: It's a tough one, Matt, are you, and and I'm going to agree with you in terms of potential. He's potentially to be, take the division over, but we haven't, we don't know. It's difficult to say, Matt, what do you think?
2: Yeah. I think if we're judging on potential alone, I would tend to agree. I think he's potentially has the highest ceiling um, but I mean, if we're still talking about current king, that's Keiko until otherwise changed. Oh, wow. I mean so I've he, I've, he I've, I mean, after I've, I've yeah. Yep. Yep, I've bet against him too many times and that guy's got ice in his veins. And so if he makes it back to worlds, and that's an if, you, you know, I mean that's to be determined. Um yeah, I I'm I'm betting on him until until he's beaten outright as opposed to being beaten you know no disrespect to chance mitchell but when chance mitchell beat him you know and i know that you've rehatched that on the podcast there was a uh, an issue there with communication for Keiko's final deadlift and the incorrect number went in and this that and the other thing you know and look chance could have changed his deadlift based on what Kaiko did and you know whatever we talk about that all the time but yeah until until Tycho is 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 beaten soundly at a world championships or or just beaten you know i would i would I would bet on him, but in terms of potential, yeah, I would say Petri, yeah
0: interesting, yeah. interesting so, we'll see um what do so you wouldn't consider Sheffield a loss or what what do you mean if unless or do you think you need to see it, two consecutive, a, two consecutive back to back? And then you're convinced. Well,
2: it's well, it's a it's a completely different event, right? Sheffield yeah. is a completely different event than Worlds, and so also if we if you notice the body weights, Gustav weighed ninety two point seven kilos and Kaiko weighed ninety two point six five. So, um, granted, Gustav would have you know presumably would be pulling after Jonathan anyway. But um, look, I th- I think it's safe to assume that Keiko would play his cards certainly a little bit differently at a world championships um, rather than the way that he played his cards at this meet. And so I think that 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 has the potential. I'm not saying that it would I'm just saying that it has the potential to unfold a little differently. This competition incentivizes world records. It incentivizes risk-taking and those sorts of things. And so, um, you know, it could have unfolded differently. That's all I'm saying. And that's, that's no shade or disrespect to Gustav. I mean, he put forth his signature performance to date, Um, you know, but I just know that at a world championships, things just have a tendency to unfold differently because we're looking at lot number. We're playing the lot number game. We're playing the chip game, obviously, with Jonathan, of course, has in the bench press and we're playing the um, the bodyweight game. And this championships, Sheffield doesn't play any of those. It just plays percentage of the world record total. So I think the, the bullseye is slightly different at this meet mm. than it is at a, at a world. That's, that's all I'm saying. But look, I mean, I think all of us would yearn for the day when we could see all of these Titans clash at a single meet. It's unfortunate that, you know, you know, at least on the U S side, we only get to send one.
0: Um, yeah, that's interesting. What do you, and Eric, yeah, you're, you already answered there with Petrie, uh, interesting and, and you're right, this is slightly different the worlds and I kind of like it that's a little bit different because then it shakes up results that might be repetitive whereas um it's kind of it, it, it's the same game but slightly changes it a little to make it interesting that uh, but anyways, let's move on to Delaney Wallace. Matt mm. Delaney Wallace, two-time world champion now two-time mm. appearances at Sheffield and Delaney Wallace, when the split came from USAPL, went the IPF route and two world titles established himself. Obviously he made the right decision. He's really pushed to the forefront, into the limelight with events. Um, The IPF world stream numbers, fantastic. Sheffield, fantastic. The last two years have been just gangbusters for Delaney Wallace. So he made the right decision. However, for the longest time, despite being a two-time world champion, there was the shadow of Russell Orhe. Russell is a massive figure in the game, icon in the game, probably the greatest 83 we've seen, just so dominant since 2019. And Russell Orhe's record is the one that Delaney was chasing. And what does this mean now for Delaney Wallace's legacy? And how does this readjust how people now must talk about Delaney Wallace's IPF venture? The USAPL people are coming over and they weren't around when Delaney did this, but now that Delaney Wallace broke Russell or IPF world record, traveling abroad, IPF judging, doing all of that. How much does this change? How people have to talk about Delaney Wallace.
2: I I think it's huge. And let me, first and foremost, jump to the front of the line and raise my hand and say, I got this completely wrong. Um, And I told Delaney as much after the competition when I went over and congratulated him. Um, First of all, I told him, I said, you're a sly fox, because, you know, uh, a lot of us thought that you were, you know, significantly injured. And I'm not saying that he wasn't. He did. He had a significant groin, groin injury that I think is well documented but um, him, you know, being coy and being, uh, you know, playing playing his cards close to his chest on social media uh, worked in his favor. And I don't think that any of us saw this coming. I mean, how, how could we have, unless you were part of Delaney's really, really tight inner circle, you know, where you know the nuts and bolts of his training, because just none of us, matter of factly, saw any of it. And so he, he used that to his advantage. And I think once we saw when we looked up on the board there and saw the openers, we're like, oh, OK, then, um, you know, this is setting up for for the possibility of him, um, you know, taking over Russell or he's um, world record, which to your point, Ryan, I think it is the literally the cherry on top of the Sunday. For De- Delaney, the, unquestionably, like you said, he made the right decision in going over to Powerlifting America. That was that was a time-sensitive decision. He did the right thing, and now he's you know, undisputably a two-time world champion. Those titles you can never take away from him. And now he's placed third at Sheffield. And and oh, by the way, his his parting shot. Is to take, um, you know, Russell Orhe's record, which I think you know a lot of people thought. You know, I mean, he came within an inch of it last year, but then there were a lot of us, you know, myself included. I had Delaney coming in dead last. And so, like I said, I'm sitting here eating my crow and taking it like a man because he he showed up and showed out. I mean, from a from an attempt uh, standpoint, you know, Delaney averages seven point nine, so he made eight attempts, so he was bang on with his attempt selection. I mean, the only deadlift, the only lift that he missed was his last deadlift, and he'd already secured the world record total, so he was just trying to add a few more kilos at the end there. But I think that this is just phenomenal for him, and I think it makes a statement that says, look, you know. I'm Delaney Wallace. I'm here. I've been here. I've won two world championships. and oh, by the way, I'm not playing second fiddle to anybody. And so, um, you know, I assume Delaney's gonna come on your podcast and and I'll let him tell his story the way that he wants to tell. yep, already booked. And so I don't want to speak for Delaney in terms of his future plans and 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 what's next for him. But um, but yeah, this was just a phenomenal performance, man. I mean, he just executed like a pro. um his his lifts were on point. And uh, I'm just super, I'm just thrilled for him. I, I, I don't know what else to say, but this is, this is an incredible achievement because like you said, you know, looking at the 83s that we've had, you know, during this tenure since 2012, we now have a lot of people who have won two. You know, we've got, um, we've got Brett Gibbs, right? We've got uh, Russell Warheel and we've got Delaney Wallace. And so when the conversation were to happen right now in terms of those greats, I mean, it's man, he's, he's right there and rightfully so.
0: Eric, how, how do you feel about Delaney Wallace, how he's altered his legacy, or at least how people talk about him um, by breaking none other than Russell or his IPF world record under the officiating overseas, everything that goes with that. And how does he stack up now with the other 83s of the world? And if Russell comes over, what does this mean now that Russell knows? Oh, I have another 83 who's totaling in the 840s and possibly heavier by the time he gets there
1: well there's an interesting cultural dynamic here too because they're both on team flex right so they're teammates and they were teammates who both had respect for each other because they took different routes and you know up until this point they're both doing big things for 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 team flex and for themselves they're getting their own and you even hear russell talk about like it's good to see him do that yeah but it's, it's almost kind of like a big brother talking about a younger brother in some of those conversations. And I think you could easily have said, um, or it could just be a little bit mean and rude and unnecessary, that Ol- Laney took the easy way out. He didn't want to face the biggest you know, dog, so he, he got his easy world championship. Um, but there's nothing easy about getting a world championship twice and all the things that you said and under those conditions. But to anyone who might have even had a hint of that perception, I think he's closed the door on that narrative and now i think it's going to be really interesting where you have russ coming back to the ipf you've got delaney having just broke his record and it's not like russ has put up a higher total in, in like the 82.5s in the usapl he's been flirting in the 90s you know and playing around going not 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 to make light of it but so now he he's he's a legitimate contender and i and i wonder how that relationship is going to change and what it's going to be like when you have two athletes um, who were previously like fist bumping across the the federation aisles uh when now they are coming for the same food um and i so i'm interested in that i think it's of course gonna be very cordial and respectful uh, because that's just who Jelani is and they are still on the same team but i bet you that they are seeing each other differently now uh-huh. um and probably more so from Ru- Russ's perspective. Um, I think I think now he understands that, and maybe he's even happy about having some kind of contender, uh, which I think is going to be good. So I, I, I'm curious about what this brings out in Russ. I think that'll be very interesting. And I can say, um, although it'll be way better to hear it from Delaney, and I won't say too much, that um, Delaney is a 3DMJ nutrition athlete. He works with Alberto Nunez. Oh, so yeah, someone right. in yeah, the yeah. inner circle. And... I have a feeling not many people thought that there there was a question mark for everybody, even in the inner circle, Um, because I I talked to Berto about it. And he was like, yeah, that was kind of all came together last minute. So good news, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's it's cool how when you were that high level of an athlete and you have those motor patterns down so well, that if you can just not fall back too far, you can take a significant amount of time off of lifting heavy and kind of grease that groove as best you can, and take the intelligent decision to not load heavy loads that might exacerbate an injury, just out of almost fear, and go oh, the pressure of Sheffield, and really do the right thing, and go listen. Like, I don't know if this is going to be successful, but it has a chance to make it worse. Let's not do that. And I think they made the right call. Um, and I'm—I'll uh, just say it that much um, because obviously it really paid off, and now he is—he can legitimately claim that he is the best 83 right now. And no one would be able to argue with the data um, and it would just come down to, all right, we got to see a battle. And um, yeah, I'm excited for the future of the 83s. I think it's going to be very interesting.
0: How good does that probably feel? Two years. Hmm. He's been waiting for this. Two years to silence those people. Yeah, but, yeah, but. For him to say, yeah, but what? At the IPF world level, I, I hold the world record now. And, uh, and, and Russ can't just come over here and have a bad day and win. If you want to say Russell's the favorite, that's fine. But now Russ has to string together his lifts and Russ has to, he can't just win missing by and and win by 20 kilos or more. You have a bad day. You lose. That's, that's Delaney's a, a legitimate threat. Um, also adding to that Delaney is actually, I also got the vibe of the big brother, little brother love. It's going to be a little different now. He's, you know, little brother's getting strong, huh? Little brother's got respect now. You're going to put respect on his name. Delaney is also Russ's accountant. Um, so if Russ ends up going away for tax evasion, okay, Delaney can make things happen. Delaney has a lot of ways of getting Russ out of the way as well. It's not over yet. Um, watch yourself, man. W- watch your numbers, playboy. Um, so let's let's move it along here. I'm going to throw a question to you, Eric. Penagiotis. Hmm a reigning champion coming into this event. And by the fantasy league, I was surprised. But you gentlemen were not. You gentlemen were actually picking Kyoto to upset Pena. And initially I was like, wow, is this just the KOTL hosts here while out? (laughs) And then the fantasy league picks came out and Kyoto was the favorite. And I was a little bit taken back because I hadn't seen a lot on his bench press his deadlifts were like rep work with pause and i just was like i'm this is pretty bold this is pretty bold but it was it was a unanimous across the board thing this wasn't just the kotl host this was the powerlifting community it was an overwhelming Kyoto, but pena was actually an underdog in the head to head coming into this with that despite the fact that pena was the reigning world champion What does this do for Penna's reputation within the powerlifting community? What did we learn about Penna? What did this add to Penna's legacy? For him to have faltered in the squats, and this is so Penna, nothing comes easy. Underdog, come from behind win in the 66s to rally with a mega set. he hit that 270 opener deadlift and went all in on 190 PR in a second. And essentially, if he missed that on his second with a PR, if he missed that, he was done. If he moved forward with just 270 on his total, he was beyond done. I don't know what he would ch- check out on overall, but damn near last, if not last. And certainly not beating Kyota. And in true penna fashion, he grinds out 290 and uh and Chioda did not tighten up on those deficiencies that we had seen in, in the rest of his history. And Pena not only defeated Kyoto again, but ended up cracking into the top five, which a lot of people probably did not see him doing. And, and top five, when it's champions all around, legends all around, is, is a fantastic. I mean, look at the names that he beat. Um, Yeah. I know I carried on after the question, so I'll restate it. But what did we learn about Pena? What does this do for Penis esteem within the community? Because he continuously is the underdog. And what does this do for his legacy piece?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a mixed bag, actually, in my opinion. While there was a very clear win in the battle of the 66s, um, it was a it was a bit of an ugly battle, to be frank about it, on on for both of the people involved. And let me just state this very clearly. I'm speaking as an analyst. If you want to hear Eric Helms speak from his heart, I was really pleased that panel won. I always want him to do as well or better than he predicts for himself. And I think he is a beautiful human and an amazing powerlifter and has probably more heart than than, than most people alive. So um, with that said, I think they both underperformed compared to their potential. um, What they said they would do and it, it's difficult to be like, oh, you know, he was the underdog and he came out ahead because I, I, don't, I don't think that is how it, it felt to watch it, to be honest. Um, you know, when, when you're talking about 7.30 and you total close to the best you've ever done but not quite there um, on the day and you take some very risky moves, miss a few and you have to take the risky move and it ends up turning out because the other competitor underperformed even more than what they were potentially capable of. Um, it's, it's not quite the, the, the ideal story for, you know, Pana doing, showing his debut at Sheffield, but hats off. Like let, that, that, that's one side of it. That's the much more pessimistic side of it. The upside of it though, is he placed fifth at Sheffield, you know? it And, and if, if he had said like, oh man, I, I, I plan to total over 700. I'm going to bring the best version of myself. Um, slightly different you know way things shook out. The expectation would have been different. So there, there, there is a there is a bit of a cost to publicly having the kind of energy that, that, that he brings, but I think it's also part of who he is and, and why he's successful. Um, he's the grind king, you know and the downside of, of having a highly specific training protocol, and including primarily the main lifts and primarily at high proximities to failure and competing a lot, Everyone knows what Penna is capable of, you know, most of the time. And when, you know, he does a touch and go bench and gets 180 and we don't know what his body weight's at. And he, you know, puts together like this, this kind of like, if 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 everything comes together, I total 730. I I don't know that a lot of people took that seriously, to be honest. Um, It doesn't mean that he can't or won't ever get there, Mm -hmm. but... I think the the interesting story in the battle of the 66s was, and and the reason why I chose Kyoto was because I know he brought on Kedrick. So Kedrick Kwan was working with him. So I knew that Kyoto had identified, you know, my, my lifts aren't to standard. I need some help. I want to get assistance. And he was doing things to rectify that. And I can tell you, as someone who has coached lifters from literally their first meet until all the way to retirement, and also worked with some people for a brief period of time, wasn't able to get the opportunity to see them materialize on some of the things I would like to see change and then they move on and still struggle, having been on both sides of that spectrum, I can tell you that is the, the most important thing is the athlete's intent to try to change something because they will typically eventually get there. Eventually. But just because you make the the coaching change or the strategic change or the tactical change or the weight class change or whatever it is, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to materialize in your very next meet under pressure when you're first trying new things or trying to adjust technique. And it's a tough thing when, you know, he has actually put up a total that is, you know, like I think he did 712 at Japanese nationals or something like that over the world record. He's done that with what we know is relatively inconsistent not to standard performances. So he's got these ingrained rewarded behaviors. Like it's tough to change technical aspects of lifts in very, very high-level lifters, and there is a risk to it, and there's a cost, and there's a time lag, and it doesn't always go the way it should. So to me, I thought it was more, it was less of a story of Pana um, kind of outperforming the expectations and more of a story of Kyoto underperforming more than I, I had even anticipated, uh, unfortunately. And uh, that's not that's not a fun thing to say. I don't, I don't feel like that's a nice thing to say to either Kyoto or, or Pana. And these are both people I only want to see success for. But that's what watching that battle looked like to me. And I think we saw someone with a pretty established potential who's steadily leveling up. And I think Pana, is, he's not done by any means. Don't get me wrong. He's incredibly resilient. Um, underperforming a bit from where he's capable and a, a good bit less than what he said he would. And then we had someone who underperformed a lot compared to their potential. Uh, someone who, who probably could have totaled 720, 730 if everything had gone well and, and they were able to correct some of those issues. Um, so I, I think there's actually a, a bigger story here. And um, I I think we're going to see future clashes between these two uh, and others um, in this class.
0: Matt, you, you you look like you agreed with a lot of that. What can, can it do? To bring over seven thirty, um, is it possible? Maybe he, maybe you feel as though that oh, nah, that's maybe seven thirty is too much. And as well as Kyoto, for them to level up and reach their potential, so the training enters onto the platform.
2: Yeah, I think first of all, what Eric said very aptly stated, very eloquent. I mean, you you nailed it, Eric. I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. I think Pena brought exactly what I thought. What he would bring and I had him finishing at 705 he finished at 702 and a half um, he tied his PB in the bench press and he had five kilo PB to your point Ryan in the deadlift what I was a little bit I don't know if I want to use the word surprised but he's got a 247 and a half kilo PB in the squat and he opened on 240. so clearly if he thought that his training was projecting higher, and he was projecting a much higher squat, which I think it's safe to assume that that's what he was thinking and projecting, and then maybe that's what his training data had said, then 240 may have been an appropriate opener. But I thought that, when I saw that number go up on the board, I thought that was pretty darn heavy. And clearly it came back to bite him because he only made the opening squat. So if you're asking my professional opinion in terms of what I think Pena would need to do, it would be to change some of his attempt selection. And he and I had a little bit of a conversation afterwards and it it really wasn't focused on that, but it was just focused on this mutual respect and appreciation. But I think what was also gleaned from it or what I gleaned from it was like, Hey, this is who I am. This is how i express myself this is how i compete likewise he he tossed it back to me and he said that's who you are you're a coach that's how you express yourself is through this you know what i mean and so it's like we can we can respectfully agree to disagree so um yeah i mean personally i would try to convince him to change some of the attempt selection um clearly as ryan said the heart's there the drive is there the determination I don't, you know, the guy is, is a is a hard worker and so forth. And then on the flip side, if we're looking at Kyoto, you know, I didn't want to say anything on the podcast like Eric didn't want to let the cat out of the bag because they had requested that we kind of keep that hush hush until the meet. But I was excited to see Kyoto align himself with Kedric Kwan, you know, who is quite established in the nutrition realm, but now is also making quite a name for himself in the training realm as well. Not only working with Kyoto, but working with uh, um um Emil Krostev and so forth. And so anyway, I think it is glaringly obvious to not only me, but to all of us, that Kyoto needs to make some significant technical changes. He just needs to clean up the package. Um, He needs what I like to call a competitive polish. And so the strength is there. um, But these, these technical things need to change. And much to Eric's point and critic, what he said is, look, this is the first training cycle that he and Kedrick have had together. And there is a significant language barrier there. And so I, you know, um, I don't want to tell the entire story, but I know that Kedrick has to work through an interpreter to get through to Kyoto. And that is very difficult when when you're translating terms like hinge, and in Japanese, that term translates to a hinge on a door. It doesn't translate to a hip hinge and so forth. So there's a language barrier there. Yeah, that needs to be overcome. And so I think, like Eric said, you know, uh, these wrinkles don't always get ironed out the first go or the first go around. And so I think Kyoto has displayed an aptitude and an ability to total much higher. And yeah, he, he, he clearly underperformed. Um, below what I think we we all did in terms of the attempts that he made, in terms of the technical standards, we, you know. But once he cleans that up, there's there's a lot more meat on the bone. And so I would look forward to seeing him clash, obviously against Pena in the future, and the the host of other 66s they're going to be brought into the mix at World Championships. So, but that's the story for me at 66. Yeah, and like and like also Eric, said, I'll just add. Penn has got no apologies necessary to anybody. The guy plays fifth ahead of a lot of people that we had picked to place higher. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's, he's laughing his way to the bank account right now. So, you know,
0: um, so I have a couple comments on that, but then I'm going to throw a question to the table for you guys to give me. Um, but it was interesting because Kyota literally, you could see the bar slide down his back mid squat. It starts in one position and finishes in another. Um, yeah, that's going to be difficult to lock out. I don't know how this, Mm -hmm. passing that at Worlds is going to be, I think it's going to be more difficult. And to your point, and that's just how the squat, which then also the squat looks very ugly because it comes up, the bar is moving while he's moving. And Mm -hmm. whether he can lock that out or maintain his technical form on the way up, it it looks awkward. I don't know what's going to happen at Worlds if if he's going to get that call or whatnot because Penna bombed with a low bar in in euros so yeah he's got to be careful it's it's toying with it could change an amazing prep and it all goes out the window if you go like one for three in squats then you get to the deadlifts again super strong guy can't lock his knees and i don't know what's going on and you could see it though on the stream and i could see
1: he's leaning back too far Yep, he, he doesn't need to extend that much, and when right. when you extend your back that much, your knees almost must lock out in that sumo position. So I, yeah, I'm, it's it's hard. You know, I'm a coach, and it's like you you see it, and you you I want to run over to him and just take him into the training hall and 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 do some things on squat and deadlift like immediately with him and, and bench bench press as well. But I I really do think, um, and actually, is great proof to it, right? You know, Penna significantly changed his squat. And mm-hmm. was able to come back from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really surprised that Kyoto didn't actually miss another squat getting an up-down command like he did on his opener because it looked the same. I'm surprised he didn't get the same call. Like there was that yeah. down stop and then go again yeah. as the bar shifted on his back. I thought oh he's done for. Um, mm-hmm. And he, 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 he got that. I, I mean I wasn't physically there. I was only watching on stream this year. Right. But um, that's what it looked like to me. And the bench press was also riding a very fine line that didn't go his way and the deadlift like i said it's it's the um he's leaning back far enough to where the knees are, are going to unlock and i don't think he needs to do that so it's it's fixable stuff is what i'm saying so um, but like like to matt's point you know um, sometimes that iron is going to take a while to to actually get those wrinkles out
2: mm-hmm. yes. yeah i mean to Eric, to, yeah, to, Eric, to yeah to to eric's point you know his second squat i mean there's a perceivable noticeable difference between the the, the opener and the third being kind of coupling those together. They looked very similar with the third one. The bar was literally falling down his back. I mean, but he's got that pre pre hinge kind of unhinged pause. And then he drops the second one to his credit. He did correctly all as one movement when he decided to break at the hips and go, he went and he got it. And we're talking about, I mean, really, and even Kedrick said the same thing. He jumped from 215 kilos to 240 kilos i believe it was we're talking about a 25 kilo swing there we're talking about instead of him totaling 690 he's totaling 665 and by far i mean in last place if that happens given how the rest of his day unfolded so there are some serious technical corrections that need to take place there and like i think we all agree when he can iron out those wrinkles then you know He's going to have a significant jump on his total. But to your point, Eric, he has got to get that sorted out by Worlds because, man, you you just, yeah, you you don't want to send those squats to a jury table at a World Championships. No way. No, sir. It's It's not going to end nicely. It would be a shame if he doesn't because if he can get everything
0: together, his total will blow. He's so strong. But his squat is never going to fly at Worlds. And his deadlift... With the exact same as Sheffield, exact same last worlds will be that it did not improve yet. It doesn't mean it can't. But he needs Kendrick's got to find a really good translator to be like, listen, my friend, do you understand what we can unlock with you if we could get this together? And his Mm -hmm. popularity in in the region for powerlifting is huge. What he could do for powerlifting in Japan is huge. Let's hope. Let's hope for the best for him. And really quickly, um, talking about Pena. I think the 7.30 had them extremely ambitious. If he was to tighten up on attempt selection on the day, if he actually knew what he had on the day, and instead of 240 and 252.5, he just went 250. If Because his, his second attempt at 252.5 looked like he might get it for a second, almost fought right. through the sticking point. If he nailed 250, that's 10 right. more kilos on his total. That would have been the world record. That would have right. been... Um, instead of 702.5, yeah. would have been 712.5. And if you look at what's winning Sheffield, it's 100% yeah. 0.78. Penna yeah. saying, I am going to win Sheffield, wasn't crazy. Penna actually was right there in the hunt. The problem is 730 happened. Almost could have been better for him if he never hit 730, got himself wound up saying, I'm going for 730, and everyone around him, in the keep was like, bro, you got 730. If he was like, we're staying conservative at least for the second attempt, and then we'll go heavier on the third. My God, we might have all been talking different right now. Um, What would have happened if we took Pena and said, you're getting handled by Mike Gary today? <laughs> what would have happened?
2: Yeah,
1: Are we talking Penna's
0: the king of powerlifting? What's happening right uh, now? I
1: think he's I'm on the podium.
0: He'd be on the podium.
1: Yep. He'd be on the podium.
0: It, it, God, it, we don't we don't know. You don't know. But I think if if you get someone who's not emotionally attached to him, it's like very good, Playboy. I've seen all the videos. I got you. But guess what we're gonna do? Like, because Mac Gary don't give a shit. I'm gonna tell you right now. He don't <laughs> give a shit. He's gonna take that steering wheel and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna put the foot on the gas when he feels he needs and only as much as he needs. And he's gonna go 20 over the speed limit and and not get that speeding ticket. He's not gonna go over. But um, but to Penn's point, he's a passionate guy and and I think like he's such a charismatic guy too. You'll be around him and you'll start believing as well. <laughs> you know, that's where you need a guy like Matt who's like, don't it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Who knows? Like, by the time worlds rolls around. Let's see what happens because penna like penna is like is like kyota is like all of them now having said all that fine we we threw it all out there let me throw you guys the question in the ipf who is the best 66 in the world today
1: you're up first this time matt
2: wow (laughs) that's really hard to say man i mean good lord i mean look, he's the champ, right? So, I mean, you, you you have to give the champion their flowers because he's the reigning champ and he is the reigning champ until June, whatever the date is of this year. And so someone has to come and knock him off the off his perch, so to speak, as far as I'm concerned, just like what I said about Keiko. And so all, all respect due to Pena and so forth, um, you know, he doesn't have the, 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 the sexiest total, nor the biggest total that we've seen and so forth. Um, but until that day, until he is quote unquote dethroned, he's the man. I mean, because we've got a bunch of potentials or what ifs on the powerlifting America side who are unproven at the international level. So I think it would be premature for me to say, oh, so-and-so's done X, Y, and Z over here under different standards and so forth, if they can, you know, we'll, we'll see it's, it's to be determined, but I think right now it's him. I mean, uh, he's the reigning champ. And I also was, I, I also chose those
0: words carefully, but it is in the IPF right now, yep. IPF level, international level, who's made it that far. That's um, right. Eric, that's what
1: r- he's earned. What do it. you think? Yeah. He's earned it. Right. He, he had the year where everything did not go his way. He made corrections. He came back. He had very close to his heart, emotional, motivational reasons to do so, and he leveled up, and he won the world title, and he won the battle just now. And, and, and even if like you win, you win ugly, it doesn't matter. You, he won. He like That's right. Everything I said that was maybe not the most favorable to Kyoto and Pena, Pena still won. So the, the, there was two 66s invited to Sheffield. Pena was the, the higher, higher one. And he's the world champion. He's earned mm-hmm. it. So um, it would be, in my opinion, disrespectful. Um, yeah. And and just prematurely inaccurate to say anything else. So I, I completely agree with Matt Gary. It doesn't mean that I think he's a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite, undeniable world champ again in the 66s for Worlds. I think he is in a very contentious position. Um, but he's still top of the pile. Period.
0: Well, first off, I agree with both you gentlemen. I think um, win win ugly, still won. And the guy he won against in direct head-to-head competition, 66s, I think is a... Well, I mean, he's unofficially broken the world record at at Japanese Nationals. He's a phenomenal lifter. So the quality of opposition, which he faced head-to-head at Sheffield was phenomenal. And he still came out on top. So it's got to be him. Let's see what happens at Worlds. He's forever vulnerable, which makes him... He's the your makes your heart bleed every time he hits there and, and it's always entertaining and he grinds and it's it's part of it. It's all part of the allure in and uh the romance that is uh Penegiotis. Let's move on to the 74s and Eric, you're half Kiwi uh or or whatever mm-hmm. the situation is over there. I won't pin you down and label you. You don't like it when I label you but um Tim montti won in yep. the community said, They pick him to uns to upset reigning world champion, um, Carl Johansson. Tell me your thoughts on the performance, your thoughts on the battle, and why do you think the community thought he was going to do this?
1: Because of the deadlift (laughs) video, honestly. Like, it really, I think it really came down to him deadlifting something that was 10 kilos more than anyone anticipated that he would be doing and just going whoa okay so there's reserve there um that's why why i picked him and uh yeah i mean it it wasn't as dominant on the day as as it was on instagram it often isn't but i mean still man it's a pretty big deadlift right so i you know the really interesting story that i think is just kel becklin sitting back and going yeah, yeah, I still got you, <laughs> you know. Um, so I am actually very, very, very excited for the uh, the seventy fours at Worlds. I cannot wait to watch that. But to, to answer your question very directly, I think it really did come down to what happened on Instagram. You know, I think I think Tim Monagatti, uh, you know, putting up some big numbers on, online was like, whoa, because I mean, they were pretty close at Worlds, you know. And um, the only I could see the counter argument though. Like, you got young guy on on the, the Apex trajectory uh, with with Callie, you know, coming up. Um, you'd think lots of room to grow, you know, and he's just, you know, he's young, right? And then you got Tim cutting down from the 83s, which more often than not is going to kind of cap you at where you're at or close to it. And it's going to give you a more defined range of what your capabilities are. Um, and then... He kind of broke that narrative by by showing that massive deadlift on Instagram. I, I think that was basically... I, I would be really interested if he just had decided not to share that that Instagram video, what the polling would have been.
0: And what did you learn from the actual clash itself when they clashed at Sheffield?
1: Well, I, I learned that I at least picked one battle, right? I mean, that wasn't... <laughs> I mean, I, if you saw my picks, uh, I, am I still the expert analyst based upon...
0: <laughs> we we almost didn't book you for this i'm gonna be honest after the
1: <laughs> rory dropped out you had to have someone else besides rory, just Mike i cut
0: rory all together can i be honest he could make it. he could make the show i was like rory i seen your picks and good god we got to shake up the podcast a little um but yeah what do you think was it did it unfold the way you thought it would um do you think now that tim beat carl he'll pro he'll progress at a more rapid rate and we should anticipate he, he retains the lead. Um what are your thoughts on this? I'll get it I'll get Matt's thoughts as well but what do you think? What do you, what do you glean from this?
1: Yeah, I was really impressed with the squat. Um you know the uh he he gained a good lead there. I think his bench press is this 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 is a, out of all the lifts if there's kind of deciding to kind of cap things although I got to say <laughs> we'll find out proves this not to be the, the rule in all cases. When you cut a weight class, like your 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 bench press is, it may be like just I'm protesting. No one's going to cross this line. Here's the picket. You know your your bench is forever held held stagnant. It's something I've seen a lot. I really hope that's not the case. I hope we can move this bench up. But Tim's pretty lean, you know. Um, And uh, and certainly uh, I I don't want to sound doomy and gloomy on the bench. So it went pretty much the way I expected, and then he did what he needed to do. On the deadlift, so and and won that little battle, chipped the, the the deadlift right before it. So played the game right, came out ahead, and um, the lead he had on on squat was enough to make up for the fact that he was behind on bench. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was surprised that Cali didn't do better. I, I was expecting a little more out of out of out of Cali. That that was kind of the main thing I took from. From the Battle of the Seventy Fours there. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I it's it's hard it's hard to say. I i don't have enough information about the trajectory of his training uh and how well that went compared to what the expectations were. Um, and I, I wasn't there to to get near Joey because, you know, Joey hang out for five minutes, I'll tell you everything. But uh just would have you know, unfortunately I didn't have that uh that on-site backstage uh, privilege. So yeah,
0: hopefully next year, buddy Matt. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I agree with what Eric said. Um, I, I I think Tim, quite frankly, overperformed. Um, I had I had Carl finishing ahead of him, um, but the 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 Shell Backlund factor cannot be overstated. I mean, he that that loomed large. I mean, he shifted things. You know, totaling eight hundred at Euros bumping up the world record, not just barely, but by 10 kilos and saying, I'm here and him kind of waiting in the wings. There's that first alternate Uh, Chell and I had a very funny conversation the the night before the championships. He said, where would you put me if if we had a last minute, you know, dropout? He goes, where would you rank me? And I said, well, quite frankly, I don't think I've seen enough of your training. But suffice it to say, with with Chell's 800 and both Carl and, uh, and Tim, talking on podcasts and claiming that they were going to total 820s, 830s. I thought that was a bit unrealistic. Um, Just looking at Carl's training and the amount that he has gained on his total from competition to competition has been incredible. He's had about a 3% jump in total if you look at his past two to three meets. And so I took what he totaled at Worlds and added 3% to that. I said, well, why not? And so that put me at, at... at him totaling about 802 and a half is what i had uh, carl projected at and and clearly you know he 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 didn't hit that mark he hit say 785 and a half and i think also for carl most notably is this guy he's a guy who averages 8.4 attempts out of 9
1: mm. and he only
2: and he only came up with 7 and so that uh, you know it doesn't sound like much but that is significant that's an attempt and a half that he didn't wasn't able to gain and so for that reason I think that he underperformed and to Eric's point I think Tim overperformed you know he was right on par with his attempts he makes about an average of 6.9 and he made 7 so he was right there on his attempts um I had Tim totaling a little less but that deadlift you know it 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 you know just like that scene in Gladiator where the guy says win the crowd I mean he uh he clearly won the crowd in the favor you know, based on what he did on social media, I think it was a three forty-five that he pulled there and it was, yep. you know, and, and it looked, and it looked comfortable. Now, who knows, you know, if he squatted and benched before that, and was he on body weight that day and this, that, and the other, but anyway, that, that swayed the crowd. But overall uh, to Eric's point, I think it'll be exciting to see both of these guys coming back and it's really going to shape up when you throw Chell back in the mix, you know, for a really interesting battle there. Um, in lithuania so i'm excited to see it
0: okay so another roundtable question i'm glad you mentioned shale both you gentlemen we'll start with eric who is the best 74 in the ipf in the ipf perk is not in the ipf yet
1: so i'm not allowed to say perkins no all right that's too easy um You know, I, it's difficult with the conversation. We, so this, this one is not as clear, right? And so, Atwood's
0: still in this, by the way, you're allowed correct. to say Atwood. Cause yeah. Yeah. The, and
1: yeah. this one's far less clear because there was a three-way death match that happened at worlds, you know, a difference in body weight and the, the slipping of the, who I picked as the greatest of all time. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, um, the potential of, uh, of 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 Taylor just getting his stuff together and going, you guys are playing around in numbers that start with seven. Get out of here. Is is still there, and and even to Kel, like oh, well, welcome to being good. Like you you've you've hit eight hundred. You know when you get another thirty kilos, ugh, let, let come talk. You know like, so that is that is looming, and I don't I don't know you know where Taylor's at and and. And how he's feeling. He was there. He was commentating. He did a great job you know, on some of the interviews and stuff like that. Right. I I I I I need to I need to look in Taylor's eyes because I need to see like do, does he feel like he has unfinished business? You know, things have things have changed in his life. He's got a kid, um, you know, and and he he's he has been at at, at the peak, arguably in some ways. But if he feels like he has unfinished business and he finds a way. Game over, you know what I'm saying? So um, right now, because of that changing of the guard, because of Tim just placing higher than Carl, and because Kel just totaled 800, I am going to feel comfortable being inconsistent and not saying it's the world champion, you got to knock him out, because it's a different scenario than it was with Panna, who also won Sheffield after winning Worlds, and I'm going to say Kel right now. I think in the IPF showing is currently comp- competing, just having total 800 setting the new world record and not having enough information about about uh, Taylor. I, I want to say Taylor, but I just don't know enough. I would say Taylor if he if he is if he has it together now, if right. Taylor is is still on, on kind of the upswing coming back from things, then it is um, you know to be continued. potentially Taylor, obviously Taylor, if he's there, but if he's not, then it's Kel.
0: And say something you had me in the first half, Playboy. I thought you, were, you, you knew how, you played the old switcheroo. Um, I did bait
1: and switch, baby.
0: You you, you did the bait and <laughs> switch. You deeked me. If this was the Super Bowl, you would have undressed me right on the field and got by me, and uh, and that would have been on every highlight reel of every sports show. Matt, same question, sir. Who is the number one seventy four in the IPF right now? Well,
2: it's yeah. I mean, I look. I have the exact same answer as Aaron. I mean, the the answer just full stop is Taylor Atwood. If if he's committed, if he's healthy, if he's going to compete at 74. But all these are questions that are to be determined. So just based on recency bias and what has happened most recently in the data points that we can draw from most recently is Chell. So my answer, my, that's a long way of saying that my answer is the same way as Eric's. It's, just, it's the same answer. So look, one of these guys is... You know, to be determined. In three, four weeks here, we've got powerlifting American Nationals, and we're going to see what happens there, and 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 what that produces Renona, you for saw, us.
0: Taylor's not going to be competing there,
2: right? Right. That's that probably sorry. helps and your guys' was,
0: decision on Shell because he's not as Sheffield I, I, as a
1: reserve. I did you know. not see that. So, so the okay. roster.
0: The, so that I mean, we're not going
2: to. Yeah, I mean, I know Ryan doesn't want to turn this into a Powerlifting America preview show. We're not. We're not going to do that. Right, right, Um, right. We're focusing on Sheffield and the lifters here. But yes, to your point, Ryan, the roster closed yesterday. Taylor's name was not on it. And so that leaves Austin Perkins. And so assuming Austin does what he needs to do, then he will come to the IPF and he will lock horns with these other three guys. And so it just means that those four are the top four, presumably. We haven't seen the rest of the roster. One of them is getting bumped off the podium. I mean, that's just how it is, right, to go to World Games. One of them is going to come fourth. And that's no disrespect to the other 74s. Maybe somebody else comes in third or fourth or second or whatever. But all all I'm saying is is if we're talking about those four, one guy's getting left out. So
0: if I can answer my own question, I think – that's gonna be good and if i can answer my own question i think shell is the guy to beat um and i loved the matt you were there at the banquet at sheffield for ice i kid you not like two hours shell and taylor were talking like two old warhorses two old rivals and they were off to the side like the, for anyone listening, if you don't know, Shell and in, in Taylor were rivals, beat each other, trash talk, trash talked on podcasts. I remember mm-hmm. Shell being on the podcast, being like, you better bring your best, blah, blah, you're a champ, but you won when I wasn't there. Last, last time we were at ip for Worlds together, I beat you. Taylor's like, um, I'm coming, I'm getting my revenge. They finally clashed into their rivalry stretch from 2017 to when Shell won to 2018 when Taylor and Shell wasn't there to 2019 when they clashed once again um, and finally the rematch. And then Taylor then beating his nemesis in one best lifter world championships became pound for pound the best in 2019. And then he fully blew it all away in 2021. And now that Shell is back, it's kind of funny because Taylor doesn't seem the same and for some people who wonder, will you see your rivals the same in years to come? Because right now feels contentious. No. Those two guys were arm in arm. And you couldn't separate them. And I took pictures <laughs> with them. And I'm like, I'm tripping out. What year is it? Is it 2018? What year is it right now? Let me take a picture of you guys together. And I'm like, take a picture of like two boxers face to face. And Taylor and Shell looked at each other like, not a chance. <laughs> not a chance they're like this is my homie now <laughs> and now when taylor sees shell coming back from injury and taylor's facing injury he doesn't look at shell like a rival he looks at shell like inspiration like he did it i could do it and when he yeah. says sees shell out totaling these young guns in the ipf he's like that's a guy from my generation coming back and doing what i want to do and representing the old guard so it's um you're feeling change on your rivals i'm telling you it, the older you get the more you know this and then eventually you're going to have a re- reunion at one of these events. Be like, man, can you believe at one point we were at odds with each other? Now time passes. We couldn't care less. Anyways, I took pictures with those guys together and I'll post them at some point, but it was amazing seeing them together. But yeah, I'll let go those sentiments. Moving along to Anatoly Nova mm. Anatoly came mm-hmm. into this event injured. And at one point as the openers came out, Pete Spent goes to me those are not injured openers numbers. Mm-hmm. And I ran down to the warm-up room, found Anatoly and Gustav Headlin speaks Russian and Gustav Headlin and Anatoly are like the only two lifters that talk to each other like that talk to Anatoly anyways. and um, I said can you ask him? Is he injured? Gustav asked and Anatoly said, oh yeah, it's a back injury and it's real And I said, but you're opening weights on all your lifts are not injured openers. That's what I would expect if you're going for the world record and essentially gave something to the point of we're just going to lay it out on the platform or whatever's going to happen. It's going to happen. And <laughs> in terms of like how you want your guys to go out, your stars to go out, you don't want someone coming in. I'm injured. I can't perform. I'm just going to do token lifts because God knows if I'm going to make it back in time, make it back for next year. Ashton's coming, etc. This is my one shot, possibly at Sheffield. I don't know. That'll be a question for afterwards. But let me just enjoy this. And I wouldn't even fully blame the person who did that because I probably would. But Anatoly built a little different, huh? Load the bar up. Broke the squat world record. And came within his last deadlift. Paced right until his last deadlift when finally his back injury was like, mm that was the last one and he missed his last deadlift. That would actually have broken his own total world record. Um, so he came super close, Matt, what are your thoughts on the Anatoly performance and, uh, what it, what it means for himself to have battled
2: back and And what were your takeaways? Yeah. Once again, happy to raise my hand and say I got this completely wrong. Um, clearly to your point, Ryan, he was injured. He was ding. That wasn't a lie. Um, But the fact that he came in with a bad back and was still able to load up for a squat world record is just mind-blowing, you know? And I think if anybody who's been following Anatoly, we kind of know what he looks like under load. You know, he's got that quintessential shake about him you know, where he shakes a lot when he walks his squats out and everybody's always like, Oh my God, dear Lord, I hope he gets this, you know, but he hit the, he hit the third squat, the world record squat. And that was nice to see. I was a little bit surprised, but, but understanding that he didn't go for a bench world record. Um, you know, I, I would have thought, Hey, of all the records coming in with a back entry, you know, the bench is the one that maybe he takes a shot at. Interestingly enough, he didn't take a shot at it. He went for two thirty on his final attempt which was only uh, two and a half kilos up from a second and he missed it. But to your point, Ryan, I mean, he loaded up the 350 kilos on that final one, which would, which would have given him a 940.5 total. So the fact that he comes in with a significant back injury, you know, we didn't, we didn't know, you know, based on his performance at Euros, we knew something was off. And, and because he didn't show anything on social media, we were all left guessing You know, and so on our preview podcast, we were left wondering, and I had he and Delaney because of those reasons, because we thought that they were significantly injured coming in, you know, at the bottom. And the fact that he totaled 98.45% of the world record with a back injury is extraordinary. And I think it just lends respect on his name that, like you said, Ryan, he's just built different. And if you know anything about Ukrainians, they're just workmanlike and it's just this blinders on mentality. And it's just, you know, not a lot of uh, raw emotion, you know, and they just, they just come about it and, and, and punch the clock. And, and, and that's what Anatoly did. And so I think my admiration for him and respect only grew, you know, by virtue of the fact that he came in less than himself and still put it on the line and competed like he did, you know, making seven out of nine and coming really close to just chipping his world record total. So I look my hope and fervent prayer is that this guy is full throttle and 100% by Lithuania, because I think we all want to see what could be coming, you know, which is that clash, presumably between he and, and uh, potentially Austin or I'm sorry, Ashton. So.
0: Eric, what are your thoughts on Anatoly? Can he push back the charge of Ashton or is Ashton just too far away in ahead? head? Um, obviously this performance, he was injured conceivably by lithuania he could be back up to full form and maybe even surpass that will it be enough
1: yeah this um i got this the least wrong out of all of us and that's the most i can qualify it i can't i can't really pat myself on the back because i had uh both delaney and anatoly coming in at the same like equal to their their kind of normal normal performance and i placed them um at i think 940 and uh, Mm um And I think eight thirty seven, and saw where they shook out. And I, Anatoly showed enough that I knew he was taking the strategy that I didn't quite know that Delaney was, and but I had some insider, you know, background information that he was like, hey, we're going to do what we can, but not push it too far. But Anatoly actually showed that, and I thought that was the right move. He he had some de- some videos of him, I want to say deadlifting and squatting in the two forty two fifty range, right. and. Let's face it. If you got a real injury, you can't squat 250 or 350, right? So the fact that he could do some, you know, like power work, volume work, light load, light, right? Like my heaviest squat I've ever done my whole life is 227. So um, the fact that he is doing moderate loads, I was like, you know what? That, that means that he could put on a heavy lift. It wouldn't be smart. It wouldn't be ideal. But you throw a taper in there and you make the decision to deal with whatever comes of that after the competition, which is what you do on a Sheffield um, when you are, are getting thousands of, of pounds, which he did get. He got a squat world record and he placed middle of the pack. He got some money. Um, I don't think he regrets his decision. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's like in a stretcher right now, but I really hope he's not. But I have, I have um, kind of the same view. That Matt has uh, on on the performance, and I wasn't surprised by it. I I thought he would be able to put something together just by the mere fact that he was showing videos of him in the mid two hundreds on squat and deadlift. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised by his bench because I actually had him yeah. listed as because I mean he went for it at Euros, right? Um. Right. So so anyway, um. Lithuania is has is how how long we got? We got you know like three four four months. Yeah, it's in mid June. <laughs> mid June if he was able to to make this kind of turn around from euros to sheffield
2: yep
1: as long as sheffield i don't I mean you you guys saw him at the after party was he he was go okay. he in a wheelchair okay good no he then, was good there you go so uh i mean that might have just been vodka and heart but you know sh- which which is the equivalent of shoelace and bubblegum in in the ukraine but um <laughs> i i would predict that because I, I've talked about this before Where Anatoly, I think Has not really been pushed by other people um, For a while And he is going to get that When Ashton comes over But I don't think we've seen the peak capabilities Of, of Anatoly And I think um, They're both fierce competitors And I, I think it'll be I think it absolutely will be a dogfight I don't think either one of them is going to be able to walk away Or, or stomp on the other by any means, I think it's going to be very close between uh, the two of them. And I'm actually quite excited for that. That showdown. He's got enough time to be healthy. Let's put it that way.
0: Moving on to Jesus Alavarez. Uh Matt, it was a bit of an uneven performance early on in the squats sensation, uh, took the Ray Williams IPF world record and squatted over a thousand pounds, both in the second and his third attempt. Looked like he was right on pace to hit those ambitious goals. And his ambitious goals, to remind everybody, was him taking the world record untested in wraps, which is phenomenal. Bench press came around. Um, it looked like he jumped the a command. Then I heard he actually dinged one of the uprights, and it was just a little untidy. And he ended up getting himself into some trouble, also in the deadlifts, and having to go all in for the pole to win it all. And we could talk about this. I actually, as purely in the moment, was happy to see he went all in. They had decisions. They could go for deadlift world record. They could go for don't go all well in to win at all. They, they had some options for the final poll. And in the moment, they decided, you know what? We're pulling for it all. We're pulling for it all. And uh, in the moment, I was completely fine with that. Go out on your shield. The world title is not on the line or not. You have nothing to lose. Put on a show. And he's hit over 420 in training, not 429, but uh, he probably didn't, you know, squat what he squatted and do everything he did early that day. But still, it's Sheffield and the adrenaline was high. But Matt, what do you think with how it happened? Once the wheel started falling off and he fell behind, he was almost forced to start taking ambitious attempts if he's going to catch up and then he really got behind it
2: yeah so let's back up to just an earlier part of this podcast and i just want to ask you a question before i answer because i'll give a pretty thorough response are you privy to any inside information that i'm not in other words was did did he get hurt did he dings did he tweak something like i didn't i didn't really talk to jesus afterwards i i wanted to I, i wanted to talk to him to obviously congratulate him on the world record squat, you know, Ray is my guy, Ray's my lifter, but I wanted to, you know, to be sincere in that and and congratulate him. But I just, I I didn't, our paths really didn't cross at the banquet. So anyway, I will do my due diligence at Powerlifting American Nationals. But anyway, was there something going on there that I didn't know about? He said nothing about injuries.
0: Uh, okay. If he did, if he was injured, he didn't He didn't bring it forth when I was talking to him.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I have some information. I don't know if you guys have heard of Iron Culture. You guys <laughs> have uh, both both been on there um, once or twice. But I literally I recorded the Sheffield Recap Iron Culture episode with Omar. And if you don't know, um, and these are really good commercials, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> they're amazing. <laughs> but Jesus is a Rascal athlete, and he has done mm-hmm. some amazing work with Rascal. So he does he does talk to Omar, and Omar shared some things. And I um I don't want to scoop my own podcast. But the bench press situation—I don't want to jump line here, but do, do we do we want to get this out on the table? This is shared information. Yeah, 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 please, please, one hundred percent. Honestly, it's I think
2: it, to be to be fair, it's going to affect my commentary a little bit. I mean, I'm still going to comment on what I think should have happened from right. from a, from a right. strategical standpoint because yeah. I think I think there were some significant mistakes that were made, and I yeah. think you know. So anyway, but please go ahead.
1: So you, yeah, I, I I know the the, the Matt Gary. Um, codex you know i've studied it well and and thou shalt not make more than a 10 kilo jump on bench press without very very good reason is is one of those Mm -hmm. um but uh according to jesus um he feels as, as i understood it from what omar explained that he only has so many big benches in him and he feels that if he is to make those smaller jumps when he's already starting in you know that Mid five hundred pound kind of bench range, that he cuts his top end off. So the decision to jump twenty um, yeah. was an individualized decision that I I, I know like you know I, I looked at it at the coach as well I'm like man that's a even if you're benching six hundred pounds that's a really big jump mm-hmm. um, and it's risky because um, when you're benching that much. It's like missing your second attempt on squat, not your second attempt on bench, right? Mm-hmm. So so that was the the rationale as I understand it. And then there was the unfortunate rack command jump. So there no injury, fortunately. I don't I, I think I think he's um unless that's you know information he didn't share with Omar either, but it it sounded like it was more of a a personalized tactical decision um there, which yeah, it did, like you said, Ryan force him into where he went with the deadlift. But I'll leave it there. Obviously, you know, Matt's commentary would be good to hear, but that that's kind of just now we all have the same information.
2: Yeah, I mean, I look, I appreciate you saying that and that 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 adds some context and some some color to the conversation. Um look, he he nailed the squat. I thought those attempts were were bang on. Um yeah, squat world record. I think all of us probably projected him. A little bit higher, or at least thought the ability was there to squat a little bit more. I mean, I thought, look, he's probably going to go for 480 or something. But hey, 478 is just as good of a world record as 480 in terms of you know what I mean. It really at at at, at that body weight and with those kind of kilos, you know, it really probably doesn't matter if you chip it or if you beat it by two and a half. So the squat looked good. Um, his third squat I thought looked in terms of effort about like his last one looked at Sheffield last year. So if you go ahead and look, kind of compare those two videos, um, they were both not the most beautiful looking squats that I've seen him do. He had to kind of fight for them. You know, they were fast because a lot of his squats kind of move that way anyway. Um so I do think that he had a little bit more in the tank, but I think it was a good call and congratulations to him for getting the world record. Um I want to go back to something that I've mentioned on some previous podcasts. And Eric, you you mentioned it as well and Everybody knows I've collected a metric ton of data on this stuff. And so it really um, holding weights in your hands feel much differently than they do when they're on your back or when they're out in front of you on a deadlift. And so, like Eric said, the, the data say that when you jump more than 10 kilos in a bench press, even at that strength level, things don't end well. And so... I understand what he's saying, that he feels like it cuts off his top end, but I'll give you an example. Going all the way back to 2014 IPF Classic Worlds in Potchefstroom, South Africa, I coached Ray Williams, and I also coached my lifter that I was writing training for, an American Matt Baller, and Matt was going for the world record in the bench press, and the now bench press god of the super heavies that we all know, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, Ryan, but it's, it's Ilias uh, Boulehem from Algeria, is that correct, or close enough? I think so. Right. Yeah, so enough. he he right. So in South Africa, we were competing against him and I'd scouted him. And he opened at 240 and he jumped to 260. So a 20 kilo jump, just like um, just like Jesus did at this meet, going from 255 to 275. And I walked over to my lifter and I said, Congratulations. And he goes, What do you mean? And I said, Because you're going to set the world record and get gold in the bench. And he's like, What are you talking about? I said, Just trust me, my friend. Anyway. As the story goes, Ilias went out and, of course, missed missed two sixty twice. Now, to to Hey credit, if we go back and we watch the live stream, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan, he missed the first attempt at two seventy five on strength. So the bar, he did not finish that lift. Am I right there? He, yeah. he flat out yeah, missed something. It. Right,
1: so
0: go ahead, right? I don't know if it was a miscrew strength or what it was. Uh, he, got, he, was yeah. he he was he couldn't miss strength because he he.
1: But but he didn't lock it out. And within that attempt, he did not lock it out.
2: Right. The point is right. right, The point right. The the point is is that he didn't lock it out. So the twenty kilo jump. It's not that Jesus Olavarrius is not strong enough. That's not the question. What it is is taking a jump of that magnitude at that intensity level is a shock to the nervous system. I don't care what anybody says. It's literally and figuratively like jumping into a pool of cold water, and you get this jolt on your body and your system, your organism, whatever analogy you want to use. And that's what happened. And then he comes back on the third one, hits the weight because his body is then acclimated to it, right, and then beat the rack command and misses it on a technicality. So at that point, to your point, Ryan, he is then falling behind where I think we all projected him. You know, he said, I think that he hit 280 kilos in the gym. I actually had him finishing with a 275 kilo bench press. I just thought the way that he would get there would be a little bit different and a little bit more pragmatic. Right, and so I understand what he's saying about he loses at the top end, but you know now, if we kind of fast forward presumably to what's going to happen at worlds, we're going to have to tighten up some of those attempts at worlds because you're in an eight person flight, but we're not talking about worlds, we're talking about Sheffield. then he misses the opening deadlift three eighty and that was that was uh. How did he miss that again? If I'm not, did he um he
0: rocked back that, on his heels and then dropped yeah, it
2: because he, it, it was bizarre right. because I didn't see him ever do that before, but yeah, yeah, right.
1: It looked like a freak thing.
2: Exactly. So it's kind of this one-off situation, right? And it's, it's not the same one-off as we experienced last year where Jesus clearly dropped his first deadlift. He set that he, he let go of the bar, but they didn't call him on it. Right. And I have said many times, that if I had been coaching him and, and he had gotten red lighted for that, I'd have said, Hey man, we're going up anyway because you ain't going to do that twice in the same meet. But this time I think they made a good call in repeating that weight. And then there is only one man in the building who can sit there and wait and look at the scoreboard and say, Hmm, what do I need to overtake first place? Because everybody else is done with their meat. Okay. And I'm looking at that and he jumped 49 kilos, right? From 380, right? 108 pounds. And I think once again, and I've said it on this podcast before, I think Jesus Olivares probably has the strength in the hips and the back to stand up in the deadlift with probably 435 to 440, assuming that he's fresh assuming that he hasn't squatted first, assuming that he hasn't benched first, and assuming that he hasn't traveled. But we factor in all of those things now, and we're asking a man to pull 429, which is a number well beyond what he's ever done in comp. We're asking him to do it to comp standard, and it is the ultimate YOLO. And I get it, okay? I hear what everybody's saying. This is the meat to do it at, right? Right. Go ahead, push all your chips into the center of the table. I get that. But, and and there is respect that comes along with being willing to take that chance. However, I don't give as much respect when it's borderline a delusional attempt. And I'm not saying delusional from the standpoint of strength, I'm saying it's borderline delusional based on what had transpired that day, and what he had shown. Okay, and based on the circumstances, that was a $11,327 miss. Okay, and so I've run the math, he was going for all the marbles, what he could have done was taken 410.5, which would have been a world record, there's the 5000 pounds there, I believe, and then would have placed him in fifth. So it would have knocked Enoch out of fifth. It would have put him in fifth place. And then he gets the payday for being in fifth place as well. So, hey, man, look, presumably that's a decision that he and Joseph had made prior to the competition. You know, I mean, and during the, I know the game planning sessions that I have with my lifters, I try to uncover every stone and turn over every scenario. And I'm, you know, I don't think any of us envisioned that his day would unfold in this way. So sometimes scenarios can unfold that you don't plan for, or that you don't have a script for. And and he's his own man, and he gets to call the shot ultimately. And if there's a meet to do it, this is the meet to do it. I just probably would have encouraged him to take a smaller attempt and said, hey, man, let's get a world record in the deadlift. And let's jump into f- to fifth place, as opposed to we are doing the YOLO of all YOLOs just to get into first. And oh, by the way, if you miss, which there's a high probability that you're going to miss, right? I mean, the bar didn't even come up to, to his knees, right? So it wasn't it was it, it wasn't like he missed on grip. I mean, this particular attempt didn't even clear his knees, right? So, I mean, it's not, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, I told you so, you know what I mean? But it's it's one of those things where this was just an ultimate YOLO and it didn't turn out in his favor. So, I mean, it's it's a... It's a costly mistake, but having one Sheffield last year and all the accoutrements and all the glory and all the fame and everything that comes along with it, look, I don't think it does anything to tarnish his his record. I don't think it does anything to tarnish his abilities. I think clearly he showed an aptitude and training. To, I mean, I had him totaling about 1180. So this is a major, major underperformance. It is a i mean if you want to characterize it as a disappointment it's a disappointment i mean but i don't i don't think any of us saw this coming and personally as a coach i would have advised him to go in a different way but ultimately at a competition like this where world titles aren't on the line this that the other you know it is the place to take chances and be a little riskier but i just thought the attempt selection left a lot to be desired and and we've come to a place in the sport, Ryan. I think you and I were talking about this too, right? If we're going to give people their flowers, and and rightfully so, we're also at a place now because this has become a true sport where competitors need to be able to answer for for their misses, just like they you know get praised for their makes. And the same thing with coaches. I'm a coach, and I need to be held accountable, and I need to be questioned on the on the decisions that I make when they don't come out in my lifter's favor you know, and I need to own those and take responsibility for those and step up to the plate and answer those tough questions. So I would just kind of posit those questions. And look, I'm sure you're going to have him on the podcast at some point, maybe Joseph too. And, and they can, they can speak to it and, you know, and, and help settle this, but I'm just telling you what I've gleaned and, and that's from just being there with boots on the ground. And then of course, reviewing the score sheet after the fact and kind of looking at the numbers. So
0: when you, when you say the money he missed, all right, well, maybe that's, that was a costly, that was a costly mistake. And that's no pun
2: intended, literally. And, and to be fair, there is no guarantee that he would have done the four ten point five. I mean, that would have been a 20, that would have been a 20 kilo jump, right? But that's way more in his wheelhouse. Those are the type of jumps that he is used to taking in the deadlift. You know, that 20 ish. 20 to 25 kilo jump is, is customary with his strength ability, but to throw a 49 kilo ch- jump on there, you know, is is not only just a, an additional jolt to your nervous system that's already been jolted, you know, from the previous attempts that you've taken, you know, to now to the point where it's like, my God, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's very unlikely the 410.5, there would have been a much higher probability of making that attempt, you know, satisfying the standard getting a world record, and oh, by the way, now I'm in fifth place, and we're talking about, wow, he came from you know 11th to fifth as opposed to he stuck down 11th. Eric, what do you think, buddy?
0: And, and by the way, um, yeah, I stand by what we were saying, how people need to allow analysts to analyze without yep. getting too we, emotional about it, because I know the we, respect you have for Jesus Olivares, uh, and I know to, uh, and, yep. Or yep. Penna, and everyone loves all these guys. You have to be able to on these shows. I listen to MMA and boxing podcasts all the time and they have to be able to be analysts. And we're so tight niche that um, we're friends, but people take it like almost personal. If you don't pick them to win or if you critique a performance, (laughs) like, man, I have to do this. Otherwise fans of the sport don't have the opportunity to hear like other sports do, whether actual analysts our fans of our sport need to hear actual analysts and we got to remove feelings sometimes. And I think you guys, Eric Helms and Matt Gary, nobody calls either of you disrespectful or say that you're yeah. don't handle yourself with integrity. Who has ever said that about Eric Helms and Matt Gary? So no need to go there, but I like a uh, 100% double down on that's why I bring you guys on. Cause I know you're going to shoot from the hip and call on his shots. Um, anyways, sorry, Eric, Go ahead, sir.
1: I see it mostly the same as Matt. And ultimately, when the chips are down, I would have advised a 410.5. And I'm not sure I would have been confident. Like Matt said, um, I think he meant to say 30 kilos. That's a, that's a 30.5 kilo jump. Oh, sorry. 380. Yes.
2: That's right. 30.5. Sorry. Yes. A
1: big. You know, it's <laughs> a huge old. jump. Yeah. Um, so, so if you guys recall from the preview episode, I, I had him taking 478 as a squat. And Matt was like, hey, but if you're going to do it anywhere, you know, you go for that 500 here. And I was like, eh, he doesn't he didn't need it to win. And it's a record. It's risky, you know. Right. So right. that actually went the way I thought it would. And that's why I was a little surprised by the decision on the deadlift. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, just to put some respect on his name, you know, like he had the day he had. And he told 1113. Huh. Just to put that in perspective. And all to respect the highest total of anyone below him, but after that, in IPF is 11, 12.5 on Roy's. Uh, sorry, Ray's best day. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of mind boggling when you think about what Jesus is capable of from a strength perspective. And we we watched him deadlift, and we said on this preview show that his was it four twenty six. Yep. That actually, yeah, yeah. like, I, I think I was the one who thought I don't know maybe his shoulders aren't back, you know, and everyone else thought it was legal lift. So 429, I don't know if I would go quite as far as you Matt respectfully to say it was delusional for the day. Um as his squat looked good and bench just seemed like it was a whoopsie, you know? <laughs> you know, he he made an he made an attempt call that was like you said a shock to the nervous system and then corrected and jumped to rack command. So I I don't know that there was data to say that he wasn't strong that day. So I I don't think it's unreasonable from someone who is the inaugural Sheffield champion, and if he got that deadlift, it wouldn't just be that, but also be historically, totally more than the raw, wrapped total. Like it's, it would mean a lot, you know. But it would also mean a lot to get a deadlift world record. So, and and looking at the money, I, I would be of two minds. I would, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have pushed back if I was his coach if I said four ten and a half, and he was like, "Let me go four twenty nine. I can win this." I can be have another historic win, defend my Sheffield title. That's just three kilos less than I've done, cleaner than than the deadlift that they passed on the overturn last year. You know, like it's 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 not. I I personally, like I said, it's 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 a matter of degrees, not not difference of opinion with Matt. I think I, I didn't. I don't quite see it as, as delusional, but I I also would have recommended four ten and a half. But I fully understand four twenty nine. I fully fully do. Um, and I, I didn't think he was going to, I wasn't like, oh, he's going to miss that. It was like, oh shit, can he do it? This would be incredible. It sucks that he's in that position. So I fully, fully get it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy when you're dealing with those heavy of weights, how much you lose from missing. And it's also crazy to me that it's still heavier than the Biggest total Ray Williams has ever put up by 0. 0.5 when he's just kind of like really had things fall apart on him to give you the idea of the strength potential of this man. It is truly shocking when you really think about it.
2: Yeah. And I, I just, while you, guys- you were saying that Eric, I just no, want no, to add no, one no. thing, Brian, while, while, while you were saying that Ryan or Eric, I just ran some additional numbers. And so had he taken perhaps a more customary attempt selection process on his um, bench, and finished with 265, let's just say, let's say he finished with 265, the additional 10 kilos only would have moved him into 10th place. So really rather insignificant. So yeah. it, it really did kind of boil down to the deadlift. And again, just to clear, you know, I look, 425.9 is not a delusional number for him. He's got the strength to do it. Uh, that's Let me clarify that a little bit. I just think on the day, given the circumstance, and the, the cumulative travel and the cumulative fatigue and so forth and squatting the world record and all of those things. I think when he pulled, to be fair, when he pulled the 426 in training, I think we all know that he didn't squat 478 or whatever before that and didn't bench 275 before that. So anyway,
1: and still, actually you know. just, just to give you uh, to, to, this is almost more of just like a technical point that people don't know if they haven't worked with really heavy lifters. We often talk about all the weight cuts and how challenging it is for the the people who are not in the super heavies. But I don't think people appreciate how much strength will drop off if you lose weight as a super and how hard it is when you weigh over 400 pounds to maintain weight when you're doing international travel and how much of an impact that can have. So, you know, it is um, that that is not an insignificant thing. And people sometimes just don't talk about that with supers, but it's a big deal. Doing international travel, and if and if like I've heard of supers losing five kilos in a day, you know. Uh, So yeah, yeah.
2: and and to your point, this was the heaviest that he has ever been. Five kilos to the fact he weighed in at one eighty six point seven. So this was the heaviest, biggest, most robust, strongest. Jesus Olivares are potentially the strongest that we've ever seen. And look, the the fan in me it's disappointed because you want you we all want to see him hit that you know whatever he's capable of so to be continued i think he will it's just you know the environment needs to be right for that to happen so i think that's exactly what it is man your last
0: thought there is he's capable everyone his prep was
2: amazing
0: that was like a historic prep it Mm -hmm. didn't unfold it did the wheels started coming off a bench and they never really got back on but he's for sure cable it's only time so the naysayers got a little bit of time right now but jesus is going to rally back he made a really good post saying losing hurts so much more than winning feels good Uh, and it's weird that he would pose it and word it in the way of losing i get it because it's a competition but on the same token yeah his look what his quote-unquote losing total was it's incredible he's the strongest man that ever lived With all due respect to all those World's Strongman competitors out there, in terms of the man whose body can generate force, I think it's Jesus Alvarez of all time. He's a remarkable talent. And um, Mm -hmm. in the moment, I could tell you just in the moment, but I was a commentator. I, and you guys know when I'm commentating, purely it's entertainment factor and that's how my mind is. When I remember when he loaded up 429, I was like, Good. This is how the show needs to close. And he was like a bull ready for the gates to open to charge at it. And I could tell you the crowd wanted him to load that. He missed it. And you guys are coaches and you're going to look at not the same. And I respect that as well. But I remember at the time thinking as a fan, good, good. That's how we go. That's how the show is going to stop. But um, but yeah, we all have to view it through different goggles and uh you sure as hell should yep. not be loading for your lifters for entertainment value. So don't follow the commentators. Uh <laughs> go all in. That's gonna be good for viewership. Um, but let me open up the floor here, fellas. I'm we're gonna save a deep dive of the women's um uh, for the women's podcast episode. But I wanted to give you guys a couple of minutes if you had anything you wanted to talk about. In terms of uh, what you saw on the women's side, not a deep dive, but go ahead, bat or anything, any Uh, any topic we haven't talked about yet. Period. Let me just also. I just
2: yeah, just before we get into the women, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on Tony Cliff for just a second. I have Tony in here. Wait a second. No, no,
0: I haven't. Wait, actually, I have Tony in here. Thank (laughs) you. There it is. This one's actually for Eric, and then I'll double back to you, bat. Cool, Eric. Okay.
1: Um,
0: Tony Cliff. Did not have the day he wanted. But at 40 years old, and this is nearing the end of his athletic career, and he's been around. Now, you also had a very similar path late grabbing your pro card and bodybuilding at 40 years old, and you've talked about this. So I was actually saving this question for yourself, and you jump in too, Matt, afterwards. But what were your thoughts on the Tony Cliff, him being able to, he hung on in his career clinching the world title when he did obviously Sheffield is in the UK and he, this is his host nation and for Tony to be able to experience this just weeks away from his 40th birthday sure he did not live up to a thousand kilos the world record but Tony knows to so and I think it was almost like a wink wink I'm gonna sell this right now and I'm gonna drop some sound bites for you guys and he did and SVD and chopped it up and sent it out and he did his job. And the crowd received him and loved him before, after, during. I mean, it's, it's almost like a feel-good story. Whatever happens with Tony Cliff now, all the, the world titles, the world championships and everything he's achieved. If this is the last major event that he's in the mix, I don't know what's going to happen at Worlds. He's, he's going to be in the mix in that one too, let's be honest. But this is he's the reigning world champion in this though. Like, he's the guy coming in. However, this was going to play out. Is this still a good story for Tony? What was your feeling on it? Because I asked him afterwards, and he was like, it was one of the best moments of my life, my athletic career. Mm -hmm. I'm just so happy I was able to to be here. When you're pushing 40 and you can have, check this off. And no one will ever take away, in your host nation, 2,000 crazy fans, all the people worldwide and I'm tossing it to you first because you've kind of similar in a different sport.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate that acknowledgement, Ryan. Um, yeah. Like I placed seventh in uh, the pro division at WNBF Worlds and the middleweights um, back in November. And I can't tell you, like if you were someone who had been, you know, placing in the top five in the pro division for worlds for the last five years, and you were 28, you would probably view it then differently than me, you know, but I had just turned pro three weeks prior to that. Um, something that I had been actively had as a goal to get my WNBF pro card, which is the largest, um, most competitive internationally natural bodybuilding organization. Since I had the goal that I set in 2006, when I went to my first competition where i got to see uh someone get their wmbf pro card and then i started competing in the in the wmbf in 2009 so that was a 14 to 16 year goal in the making depending upon how how you dice it um so to play seventh um you know and actually beat a few pros in my pro debut at worlds um it was incredible and if i never do better than that for the rest of my career Um, I will always look back on that as an incredible success that took me further than I ever thought I would be. Um, and I think powerlifting is more developed than bodybuilding. So I'm I'm not going to say it's the same as getting the opportunity to get selected at Sheffield because Sheffield is truly the champions of champions. This would be a whole nother level, but I think it is, it speaks to, it's probably something that I understand at a, at a, at a now experiential level, um, To how Tony feels that way, despite maybe not performing the way he wanted, because anyone who is on the Sheffield stage can argue and say, I am one of the best powerlifters in the world. I'm not just a world class powerlifter. I am the best among world class powerlifters. So there is like, as soon as you get that invite, there's, there's no room for shame, in my opinion, even though some of these athletes hold themselves to an unrealistically high standard. Because you are on a level that is difficult for most people to fathom, you know not not to spoil you mentioned the like the uh the women's show I got a sick toe totaled six hundred kilos at sixty nine I have totaled six hundred kilos at ninety three and I have slightly yeah. different physiology in in the lower half of my body. you know what I'm saying, so um yeah, clearly, clearly. I'm not going to be even three levels below the people at Sheffield in terms of, like, sport development. So what I can say is I think that's a very commendable perspective in Tony, and I really hope he keeps going. Because I will say there are people in their late 40s and 50s that we discussed in the GOAT episode um, who have continued reigns in powerlifting much further than 39 or 40. Um, and the same thing is also true in, in, in bodybuilding. I think when you are drug-free and when you are talking about static strength, not like explosive power or uh, some of the other, you know, types of qualities that degrade earlier with age, you have probably more shelf life than you think. And it's really just about staying injury-free and having the will. Um, so I, I, I think it's awesome. I hope Tony keeps going. And um, it almost doesn't matter how he performed, in my opinion. But I did I did love that he was like, I'm coming for a thousand. And then you start to see his squat attempt selection, his bench attempt selection, like, oh, this is very reasonable, you know? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm setting myself up I'm to glad go over the bench reasonable. record. And I went three for three on squats. And then screw it. You know, like once we're I've already missed a deadlift and and what's the point of going for three sixty again? Let's chuck three eighty five on there and, and see see what the hell happens. Like if there's a place to do it, it's the Sheffield, right? So that that that's my feelings on it.
0: I, uh, coming into this, I knew the pair that I was like, this question's going to be teed up for Eric because it, the simil- you would have it. Like you said, it wasn't the exact same, but you would have the similarities in terms of being able to speak on when you get there at 40 and you're amongst the best of the best. It's like, it's different. It is different. Try it at 40. Some of these guys at 25, try to end up at win a world title and get to Sheffield and and see what's up. And to be like, I'm still here. still here. And I'm and his perspective. He knows like, I'm, I'm, I might not be here ever again. It's different. So when you hit that, when he walked, I talked to him beforehand, me and Tony talk and I talked to him beforehand and I knew he's going to do this anyways, but I was like, embrace it and remember it, man. Like drink it all in like a thirsty man. It's different. Things are different when you know, these moments are fleeting. It's different when you're 40 and you're walking out there. Like, I, I don't know. So I'm going to, I'm not going to, you walk out, you look at the crowd, like, I'm going to take a mental picture right now, as opposed to you're 25 and you're like full of piss and vinegar, you know, you don't have an innate at the same way that Tony Cliff is. You know what I mean? And, um, I think Tony had that attitude going in and then afterwards it was easier to be like, all right, I didn't hit the numbers I wanted, but I got, I had my moment. I, I, fuck it. I threw in to your point with the last deadlift different than jesus he threw it out there like let's have fun let's fire my shot i don't know if i'm coming back 40 maybe i do maybe i don't let me go out on my shield if i hit this my god they're gonna sing songs about me in the bars tonight you know um matt what do you think buddy
2: i agree with everything you guys said i'll just add just a little bit obviously because i usually come at things from a tactical perspective kind of look at data and nuts and bolts um but yes, I agree with everything you said. And I'm going to add on to that at just the end. Um, I, I thought his bench attempt selection could have been a little bit better. Having I, I spoke to Tony in the lobby uh, the morning that we were leaving. So this was after the banquet, after the Super Bowl, um, where I sat with you and Tony Ryan during the Super oh, Bowl yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. explained how American football works and how it's played and the rules. And I'm confident that the two of you now understand the game. And that makes yeah. me very, very. That makes me very happy.
0: Um, that was a win for sh- American football.
2: Yeah, that we that we shared that moment together, um, kicking back a few a few adult beverages and explaining American football. But anyway, I spoke to Tony. He told me that he benched, um, or I think we all saw that he hit two fifty five and change in training. He posted that, albeit a touch and go. So his rationale when I talked to him was he wanted to open on 240, which was what he did, go ahead and swing for the world record. And then potentially, if he had the world record on his second, his plan was to go up to uh, 260 kilos, or at least that's what he wanted to do, which would have just been, you know, just mind-blowing. It didn't happen. He missed, you know, both his second and third attempt on strength. And that kind of set the stage for the rest of the day and and how he kind of had to take some shots during the deadlift. He had that literally just a one-off of all one-offs. I've never seen him do that in the deadlift on that second attempt where he kind of took a step. Like as he was locking it out, he kind of shuffled. It, it looked like he was doing a two-step dance move there. That was really weird. Never seen that before. And then at that point, he's just looking at the score, put on the 385 to move himself into fifth place, and it was a long shot and it wasn't there. Don't blame him for taking it. His circumstances, I believe, were a little bit different than Jesus's. But let me say this. I think that if that Tony Cliff, we have not seen the last of Tony Cliff. Um, and, and I absolutely love him and respect him as a two, you know, two genre athlete here, both equipped and 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 raw. What he's done for British powerlifting. Um, has been amazing. You know, he is the grandfather, the godfather, whatever term you want to use, of British powerlifting. And I think it's phenomenal. And I just love him. And he is going to come to to the world championships, okay? He is going to be in Lithuania. And I'm telling you right now, he's going to podium. And he is going to make it to the world games. And so we have not seen that. We may have seen the last of Tony Cliff at Sheffield. But I do not believe we have seen the last of Tony Cliff Competing at an extraordinarily high level. And so I think Tony, he's got 16 weeks now between now. So I hope he's listening to this. You have 16 weeks now to continue to build on your 955 and a half kilo PB total. And so I think we all know that he has the capability of beating that PB total with more pragmatic and strategic attempt selection, which he's going to need at Worlds because you fight that battle and you play that game differently. This one incentivizes world records, world championships, incentivizes securing the dub. And so I think that Tony will take a different strategic approach. or I certainly hope that he does not swing for the fence on that second attempt in the bench. You know what I mean? Perhaps take a 242 and a half or something like that on the second bench. Get the world record bench on the third. He's got a chip to play with. OK, and I believe he will podium in Lithuania and make it to world games and put on a good show there. So that is my challenge to you, Tony. I love you. I hope you, you're you going to do that. So if he comes back and tightens up the attempts and so forth and puts together the meat that I know that we we all believe he's capable of putting together, he can hit a PB total and walk out of the world championships on the podium and with that bench press world record. All those things are within his grasp, right? They're that all would, within reach.
0: That would be and amazing that would be, you know, that, that would be,
2: yeah, that would be phenomenal. He doesn't need to go into the world championships and hit a world record total. Forget about, the, you know what I mean? You just need to go in there and do your part, make lifts, make eight or nine attempts, be relevant at the end. You've got a really big deadlift. You know what I mean? We'll, it's to be determined on who's going to come over on the American side and the other competitors. But judging from the, from the cast of characters where, that were in Malta, Tony Cliff is going to podium at Worlds. I'm telling you, he's going to podium.
0: And with Coney, better attempt
2: selection, he'll hit the world record bench too. He's capable. I know he is.
0: Tony, by twenty twenty five at the World Games would be insane. This guy insane. is like the guy who just won't go away, and it's amazing. And I love to see. it.
2: And, and I love it. We. we I hope we he need makes it. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. it would be great. Great for powerlifting, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah great for master. Great for masters lifters. You
0: know? Yeah, he's a uh, goddamn. So, how how do we get here, huh, Tony?
1: But he's here a we legend. are.
0: He's a legend. All right. Um, yeah. So is there anything, look, we we've done this, we're closing in on two and a half hours. So I don't know yeah. about how many, I like, we have a whole episode on the women's. Do you think we got to throw anything out there? Or do you think we're good gentlemen?
1: You know, I, I snuck in the, uh, the Agata Sitco total. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like yeah. we did our job and I think yeah. I don't want to steal any of the, uh, the thunder that you guys are going to have in that awesome episode. I can't wait to listen to it.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, two and a half hours later, I think we've, uh, We've covered our bases, dude. This this is this was a really good podcast, gentlemen. I appreciate um the breakdowns and uh the different takes on it. And I like the format where I throw a question to one of you first and then open the door for the other one to add on to it, and then even have a couple tabled questions for both of you, like who's number one sixty six or who's going to blah blah blah. We're 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 starting to get on to something here, fellas. It's a good format for the recap. And um, I also want to revisit the powerlifting jeopardy. And we have to try to hunt down somebody that could challenge Matt Gary. That's not gonna be easy. But it, when it ain't me. But I need to find some new challengers. And um, uh, if somebody's gotta make a run at Matt Gary, put a pin in that one. I'm thinking about this. And if anyone's yeah. listening, give me some ideas and DMs. Some people actually stepped up, so we'll see what happens. But I just need a little time. So anyways, um, everybody listening, please do subscribe. Give us high ratings as per usual. And until next time, six-pack lapidat. And we're